0: Is this the show? Are we on the show? Is this the show? Could be. Um, which two thousand fifteen mega franchise sequel news are you more excited about this week? We've got Star Wars with a new trailer that came out like the week before Thanksgiving, and we've got, as of today, the day we're recording, a title and cast for uh, the twenty fourth
1: Bond movie. I think it's to me. Star Wars, and only because I've seen some of it. Getting to see the Millennium Falcon flying over some sand, wherever that was, tattooing or whatever, was that, like, you get chills. It's pretty interesting to me, because they're probably my two favorite franchises. I'd agree with that, yeah.
0: Drawing a blank on anything else that you would call a franchise that I could put up there with them.
1: Um, Uh, Well, maybe not up there with them, but, like, the uh, the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe stuff.
0: I like that stuff, but there's not there's no Marvel movie that's ever been announced that's gotten me anywhere near as excited as uh, uh, either of these.
1: That maybe it's because it's so new. Like, do you think maybe in thirty years, do you think someday Jonas, when they reboot the Marvel stuff, Jonas would get that excited? I don't know. I know I wouldn't. I just don't think that they're of the caliber. Wait, you've seen Guardians, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: I, saw I, I it. wouldn't.
1: I wouldn't say that. It's of the caliber of Star Wars, but I'd say that that's the thing that I've seen in theaters lately that, that gave me anywhere near that same level of feeling. Um, Yeah, but it's still uh, – Guardian. knowing that Guardians of the
0: Galaxy 2 is coming out or when they when they announce the trailer or whatever, it's there's no way that I'm going to be as excited as I am about either of these movies.
1: Yeah, but that's because you grew up with Star Wars. Well, and
0: grew up with James Bond. Maybe that's it. I'm not even saying it's because of the quality. I'm just saying right, right, for me okay. and my generation. And there's an, it's just interesting to me, though, because they're the two, my two favorite franchises, and they're coming out in such close proximity to each other. So Star Wars is—I don't think there's a date. It's like de- just December 2015.
1: Yeah, December. And then was it November 9th for Bond?
0: Or 6th or something, but it's something. a specific date. Yeah. I'm surprised that the Bond movie—it doesn't even start filming until Monday— so it's it hasn't even started filming it. And it's going to be in theaters in November. I honestly thought that
1: blockbuster action movies like that took more than a year. Well, from... maybe they, they've, uh, they knew about the movie. So maybe like the visual effects are all done. They just got to go and shoot it real quick. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, I guess all the effects are canned,
0: but I guess it just goes to show how much longer production because, and clearly these are two franchises that are known for, for high production values, you know, Bond and, and Star Wars. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it just goes to show how much more time it takes to make a truly effects-laden film like a Star Wars film than um, than a Bond movie. I mean, obviously, there's a, a lot of effects work in a Bond movie, but a lot of the sets and everything are practical. And so I guess it doesn't take that much longer to edit you know, after shooting than Star Wars.
1: Well, yeah, the visual thing, not just that there's more visual effects, but... I don't. I'm. I haven't seen the script for the new Bond movie, but I'm guessing that none of the characters are fully CG. Yeah. I mean, I hope I, there's no Jar Jar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I. I guess
0: it just is curious to me. It just seems that just seems like the pace of Star Wars seems exactly right to me, and I know that if I were a kid. Like, when I was a kid and the Star Wars movies were new and they're in the first run, I thought it took impossibly long for each one to come out. I, I could not believe how, you know, they had to wait four years for The Empire Strikes Back. And, well, I think it was another two years for Return of the Jedi. Um, yeah. I couldn't believe I had to wait that long because I just – I didn't have the patience. But now that I'm an adult, like, ever since this new Star Wars movie was announced, the whole thing where Lucas is selling it to Disney and, you know, that they're going to have a new trilogy and it's going to be uh, – you know, basic gist, it's going to be the original, you know, cast 30 years later, you know, more or less the same amount of time in the real world that's passed since Star Wars is going to be in their universe what it is. And then they announced J.J. Abrams was going to direct and the writers and et cetera. And the 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 schedule, it just felt to me like, well, this all seems fair. This seems like a reasonable amount of time. Like this is proceeding at a reasonable pace. And yeah. 2015 sounds like a reasonable time for the movie to come out. Um. This Bond movie that they're not shooting
1: until Monday coming out 11 months from now. That seems crazy. You say that, but uh, episode one, Phantom Menace, came out in 99 and Attack of the Clones came out in 2001 and then Revenge of the Sith came out in 2003. So that's two years between movies. You got to figure they probably took a little bit of time off between. Right. So let's say, let's say a year and a half yeah. to do, to do each one of those. I guess I don't know. It just seems and cr- those are, I mean, they had to make Jar Jar. They had to animate all those clones. They had to do the. I mean, there's a lot of not just make an explosion and put it over here and do some green screen stuff, but like fully realized, well, more or less fully realized CG characters that have to be animated and, and all these little details. Uh, I I can see it. I can see how that would take longer. And if they can do that in a year and a half, then it's not inconceivable that you. I mean, didn't they make Quantum of Solace in like a weekend? <laughs> no. like the visual effects and everything just
0: like knock that one out real quick i'm putting you on the spot here dave because it's it's, (laughs) this is it's it is it's it is it is dangerous not dangerous but it's hallowed the talk show ground talking about the bond movies
1: oh that's true i forgot about that and
0: it is something that i you know purposefully and deliberately did not you know in the old run with with dan benjamin we did the thing where we went through a one through 22 and uh, uh you know 22b uh <laughs> we included never say never again which is not neon production so we did 23 sh- episodes of the show where w- one bond movie per show we t- you know spent like an hour talking about um which was a lot of fun i think the longtime listeners of the show when people come up to me at wwdc or places like that everybody i'd say half the comments about the show are always about the the bond series. I remember I listened to those at, uh, at, at a time when I hadn't even seen all the movies. And but that part of the show, you know, has a lot more staying power than the first half of the show. Right, exactly. It's evergreen. Right. It's, you know, pretty much as relevant now. And I didn't, you know, we Dan and I broke up and and he's no longer <laughs> here. Um and then uh Skyfall came out. And so there was no episode where I did that uh and i don't think there ever will be i don't think it'd be right to do it with somebody else and uh, uh, it's not going to happen with dan benjamin um but we can talk you know without going for a whole hour about skyfall we can still talk bond but it's tough you're putting you on the spot here because people are gonna are gonna hold you up against the 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 old stuff
1: well i I just hope i can live up to everybody's expectations
0: so you're more excited about um star wars than 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 specter which is the title
1: it's, it's, I don't know. It's, uh, I say yes, but because I've seen it. It's like you ask, uh, you ask somebody who, like, somebody with more than one kid who their favorite kid is and... It's, you can't really answer that question. But if one of the kids hasn't been born yet, we're like, well, I like the first one better because I've seen it.
0: Yeah. Well, one of the differences, and I've been thinking about it a lot this week. I just think it's so interesting that they're coming out at the same time and now big news came out within a week or two of each other. And they're two my two favorite things. It just seems so serendipitous. And I was thinking about it a lot. Um, I'm even thinking maybe I'll do maybe like a Star Wars special episode of this show sometime this month, maybe like, a you know, in the Star Wars theme, call it a holiday, uh, Star Wars special. holiday special, <laughs> Hol- Star Wars holiday special. Um, and go, just go two hours on something, something, you know, I could, we, we could, I could easily put together a, a guest or two and we could do three shows on Star Wars. You, um, you could start a whole new podcast just talking about Star Wars. All right. But comparing it to the bond franchise, clearly one of the big differences is that we're up to bond 24 and Star Wars, we've only had six movies or seven if you want to count the Clone Wars, which re- I really don't think is fair because even though it was released theatrically, they just decided to put into theaters
1: a ninety-minute TV pilot. Yeah, that's a funny way to look at it.
0: I've, I think well, it, it was. It was a- made as a TV pilot, and they were like, "This is actually pretty good. Uh, you know, maybe you know, we'll we'll you know, reframe it for cinema. You know." Screen size? Maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't even. Maybe it was one point eight five, which or something like that. So, which is close to the sixteen nine.
1: I remember seeing that in the theater and then walking out and just thinking, "What? What was that? Like that wasn't that wasn't anything like I thought it was going to be." And no. watching the cartoon, like the animated series, it was really good. And nah, unfortunately, it was sometimes good. Well, okay. it, it wasn't. It, it was, wasn't consistently good. It wasn't. It I was, would. I would say with my my most recent benchmarks for Star Wars quality being the prequel trilogy, Clone Wars was pretty good.
0: I don't know. I think it was worse than the prequel twil- trilogy. Really? Yeah. I don't. I think it it always felt padded out to me. It always felt to me like they didn't. You know, they. Yeah, I think how many episodes did they do per season? Did they do twenty?
1: Oh, I thought it was less than that. I don't, I don't know. Could be wrong.
0: Whatever they did, they only had about half as many that were decent, and it always felt padded out
1: and they maybe. have cliffhanger well, did shows you, did, did you watch it while it was going like yeah for the most part not like week uh, to week but but yeah so maybe part. that's it because i watched them all back to back so i'd watch six or seven at a time and so the, you if there's a bad one it's kind of lost it's padded out by the good ones so even if even if half of them are bad you're still kind of remembering more of the good stuff
0: yeah and i don't know i just felt like overall it 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 I I don't know. It was a lost opportunity and I felt like they had a lot of things that were repetitious and that took away from the, the, the prequel trilogy, like the fact that uh, Obi-Wan and uh, Anakin had a bunch of um, encounters with um, Dooku. It changes the, like the way the movies present it. You know, they had the the one encounter in the second movie where uh, Anakin lost his arm and Obi-Wan almost got killed and, Yoda came in and rescued him with a, you know, quick fight. And then in the next movie, they made it seem as though, look, we haven't seen this guy since the last time when he fucked us up real good. Let's do Mm -hmm. this. Let's do it right this time. Uh, But in the meantime, if you've watched the Clone Wars TV show, they've fought against Dooku dozens of times in between.
1: Well, in the movies, it always seemed like there's a a huge chunk of time that we just didn't get to see. And it felt really awkward because in the original trilogy, the time between Empire and Jedi if if you think about it, there's probably some stuff that happened, like the just getting Lando into Jabba's palace and like getting everything yeah. set up to pull that off must have taken some time. But you're not really missing out on much by not seeing those things. Right. Like you can still get a sense of time has passed, but you don't need to know exactly how much time.
0: Right, and there was a reference in Empire Strikes Back where uh, when Han decides to uh, uh, to leave Hoth to go pay Jabba off, and it's like. Uh, uh, he mentions like a, a, a. This is where we need live audience. It's like Ord yeah. Mandel or something like that, that. That there was like a bounty that they encountered a b- bounty hunter recently. Yeah, you know, who
1: tried to kill Han and you know,
0: you know, just little things like that. Yeah, you get
1: you get hints at it. You get hints that there there's been some time passed. But uh, the difference between or the the gap between episode two and episode three, it just feels like we missed a movie. Yeah. If you're watching it, sitting down to watch it, even if you watch them back to back, it feels like there's an entire movie missing, which is one of the, the big failings of the prequel trilogy. Yeah. But so, I, so in that regard, I didn't mind the Clone Wars going into some more of that backstory stuff because I felt like I missed it to begin with. My Yeah, I, with just, the Clone Wars, I
0: just feel like it could have been better.
1: Yeah, and my, well, my trouble with it was that it never really felt like Star Wars. Yeah, I agree with that too. There's like a style change that it was fine. And once you kind of ease into it, like once you get used to it, it's pretty It's pretty good. It's entertaining. But it never really felt like canonical Star Wars. And the way that the expanded universe stuff always kind of feels like fan fiction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't quite feel like it. Same thing with seeing it in a movie. So I still say there's only six movies. I would agree um, with that. And that's the big difference is we've only had six movies over, uh, what, 37 years? Whereas well, yeah. we've had 24 Bond movies in 50 years. So it's you know clearly a different pace because there was a huge gap between the the trilogies and we've had another gap since the last
1: trilogy that really helps to to soften the blow i think if this next bond movie isn't very good that's okay
0: Right, and I think that's actually where Star Wars, especially now that Disney owns it, and you know, this is what Disney does. It's they're going to, you know, they they keep franchises going. We're going to see, you know, there's there's going to be more Star Wars trilogies after this one, whether it's you know a thousand years ago or in the future or whatever. Yeah. And some might be good and some might be bad, but eventually it will, you know, it, it'll work itself out and there'll be ebbs might be that you can you can get by with ebbs and flows but the fact that there have only been six is what makes people bitch so much about the 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 prequel trilogy because we've only had six and three of them were kind of duds
1: yeah to make a, a comparison in another medium you look at a tv show like sherlock and each season is only i think three episodes so it's if one of them is bad it stands out way more yeah Whereas if, like a normal TV show, if it's twenty episodes in a season, if one's bad, you don't you'll just wait until next week.
0: Right, right. And it's like, it's like I've always said, like comparing baseball to football uh, is it, really drastic because baseball plays hundred in, in US plays one hundred and sixty two regular season games a year, and football in the NFL they only play sixteen games. So like if your favorite team only lose, loses four games in a row. It's not good in baseball, but it's, you know, four out of 160. It's a long season. If you lose four football games in a row, that's a quarter of your season. is You've just lost
1: all in a row. Right. Baseball, you lose a game. You just wait until the game they play later that afternoon. Right. But
0: I do feel, though, that the pressure is really on Star Wars at this point, though,
1: because
0: everybody was consensus is that they were so disappointed in the last trilogy.
1: Consensus, I think, is the right word. These things are always going to be subjective. But I think that uh, if, if you polled people if this were a democracy if opinions were democracy they'd just be expunged from the record if we could if we go back in time and unmake those movies i bet most people would elect to do that
0: i'm i'm not of that opinion and i've spoken it's been a long time i think since i've talked star wars on this show i'm nowhere near as down on the prequel trilogy as a lot of my peers are of our generation and maybe it's partly because i have a son who who you know is so young and i've said this before i think it was with Maltz a while back but in and Jonas's peers, they don't really see the difference between a trilogy. There's just Star Wars movies, and it, it, for a long time, he was even confused about the the chronology of them. Uh, and I know some people, you know, like I, I Syracuse famously has, like wouldn't even let his kids watch the prequel trilogy. He's a good parent. Uh, yeah, I understand why, as a cinema fan, you would do that, but you're robbing your kid of a. Uh, uh, you know, something that is pure know. They did, you know, they like the clone troopers and stuff like that. I, it's, it's, it's different for them. I don't know. And I think it's very hard to compare to when you live in a world where you can watch them on demand. Whereas I grew up yeah. and it wasn't, I don't think they came out on home video until like, I don't know, the late eighties. So sure you, there was
1: plenty of crap that we watched when we were kids that we really liked. And we can look back as adults and recognize that it was terrible. You could only see the star Wars movies in cinema. And, you know, they, they did
0: re-release them, like, in between. So, like, you could go see Star Wars two years after it came out again. But, you you know, you were limited by how many times your parents would let you go to the movie theater. Yeah.
1: You know, he, uh, I didn't see Star Wars until I was 15. Which was, like, what? Like, 10 years ago? <laughs> uh, closer to 2018. Did you think? watch
0: them? You, so your your initial exposure was in uh, home video?
1: Uh, like, I remember, because I was in into- the comics I was yeah like 13 like between 11 and 13 when I was really into comics I would go to the comic book stores and they would have like Star Wars stuff and it always looked to me maybe it was the haircuts or the the quality of the printing but it always just looked old it looked like old 70s like like the original Battlestar Galactica or Flash Gordon like it had that vibe of just like this is stuff that's like it's gonna be old and cheesy I don't want to bother uh, and it wasn't until a friend had had gotten, I think, for his birthday, the VHS set, like one of the VHS uh, VHS sets that came out before the the re-releases, the re 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 releases, uh, and he's like, "No, you got to see this." And he puts in the tape, and uh, I think like him and all of his other friends that were there, everybody fell asleep. So the movie ends, and I'm still like glued to the edge of my seat. My life had been changed. I still remember seeing it the first time, and I was I don't know, it must
0: have been must have been the first run, seventy seven. So. Um, I was only like four years old and I remember going with my dad, um, to the theater to see it. And my dad, I didn't go to lots of movies in the theaters, but, you know, I went to a fair amount. Um, and you know, my dad would often be the one to take me, uh, and my sister's two years younger than me. And and a lot of times, you know, she was only two, I guess then. So she probably wasn't even going to movies yet. Um, and I remember a general feeling that my dad, um, Didn't really give two shits about the movies that I, you know, kids movies that I went to see. (laughs) You know, he went and he has a good sport about it. But, you know, it's, you know, it's most of the movies I went to see when I was four or five years old were pretty crappy and not very interesting to a 36-year-old man. I remember the opening of Star Wars and that opening shot of the Star Destroyer. And it's just on this immense screen. So it really looks big. And it's really one of those things, like one of the things the original trilogy I think did so well is take advantage of cinema, meaning that when something looks big on screen, it it is big. Right. As opposed to like when you see something that's shot more like a TV show and it's just close-ups and it's just, you know, you're just seeing somebody's face huge. It doesn't give you the sense of enormity. That The sense of enormity that that Star Destroyer gives you in a theater Uh, I remember my dad like turning to me and he was just like, whoa, like my dad was blown away. And I remember thinking that that was even as amazing as the movie is that, holy cow, my dad is blown away. It's just seared in my memory watching that, the opening of that.
1: I wish that my first exposure had been in a theater. Although, you know, maybe looking back, maybe the fact that the first time I saw it was on uh, somebody's crappy CRT television in the 90s on VHS just makes it that much clearer to me how good the story was or how compelling those characters were. I remember too. Uh, another,
0: uh, it was awesome. I do remember the. I also remember the first time I saw Star Wars on home video. It was my friend Joe's birthday. Must have been, I don't know what year it would have been. Probably around like eighty four or five. Maybe we were around eleven or twelve. And uh, so post know, Jedi. Yeah, I think it was post Jedi. I think, but it was it was um, a sleepover birthday party with about a dozen of us. And Joe's dad was all cagey and acted like he had this secret, this awesome <laughs> secret. And he waited until after we had our pizza and stuff. And this is before there were any legit home video versions. They weren't released yet. Oh. Joe's, Joe's dad had a bootleg version of The Empire Strikes Back, the best Holy shit. And, and we couldn't believe it. Well, honestly, and I knew Joe's dad and you know he was a lawyer and he was he was the dad who drove his car really fast so like if you if like a bunch of us were going to the mall and two dads were driving you wanted to go with Joe's dad because he'd drive he had like a Peugeot and he'd drive it really fast <laughs> um it just seemed too good to be true though i really thought that he was setting us up i i i couldn't believe that I was going to get to watch star Wars in a house. I thought he's, he's shitting us. He's going to put that in and it's going to be uh, Mary Poppins or something. <laughs> he put it in and Holy shit, it was star Wars. And it was the other thing I remember very distinctively. It was cause it was bootleg somehow. Um, what they did for the aspect ratio was it wasn't pan and scan and it wasn't letterboxed. It was squished optically Ew uh yeah gross but it was still none of us had ever seen it there were no legit versions of of any star wars movies out on the market at the time and it was funny it's just one of those things like you got used to i'd say within like 10 minutes you got used to it and it was just awesome it was absolutely blow away awesome
1: during the like the late 90s just after napster did you did you get into the thing of downloading movies at all no,
0: I it never. I I could never be bothered with it. I did a little bit, but it always seemed like too much work, and it was always so hard to find it. And then you had to like splotch them all together. And, yeah, you know, to get them to play on anything I had, you had to, uh, you had to post-process them. You know, all that shit that Don Melton's script does. <laughs> I just could never get into it. It always seemed like too much work, and I never, ever, ever, ever want to watch a motion picture on a
1: on a computer. Well, I was, you know, 18 years old and I didn't know anybody. And the idea that I could see a movie that was still in theaters was very compelling to me. But the problem was that they would always be out of sync halfway through the movie. Like there was no way to get the audio and the video to line up the way you would expect them to. And I, To this day, I have no idea technically what would even cause that problem or why anybody would find that to be acceptable. But I remember watching a ton of movies where... By the end, the audio was out of sync with the video, and the aspect ratio was just super squished. You can get used to the aspect ratio. I don't know how you can get used to the audio being out of sync. I, you just got to turn, turn off the part of your brain that gives a shit. Because no. these aren't movies. If you wanted to see this movie done well, you would have gone to the theater to see it anyway, I guess. No. But I wonder how many movies I thought were terrible that were actually pretty good. I don't know. That's a good question. So what did you think of the Star Wars trailer? Uh, well, Or a teaser? We got to talk about that lightsaber.
0: Yeah, I don't. I, I, I didn't think anything of it. I was surprised that I was mostly offline at the time. It was it was Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> we were traveling, so I I heard that the trailer came out, but I didn't want to watch it on a shitty screen. So I just put it off and I waited till we got home. And then like uh, the, a couple of days after Thanksgiving, I watched. It. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see it for the first time on my TV. Mm. Um, I of course noticed the lightsaber, but I, I didn't really think anything of it because I thought that the, um. The the prequel trilogy established that there's some degree of of uh, individuality in lightsaber design, especially right. among the Sith,
1: and I'm okay with that. Yeah, because uh, Dooku had his weird curved thing that was fine. Yeah. And Darth Maul, of course, with his famous double. And that was a scene when the when the Phantom Menace trailer came out. The very first trailer was a huge deal, and this was right around the time when video on the internet started being a thing. Like yeah. finally, we had enough bandwidth to get video, and there there were like a million parodies of the episode, the Phantom Menace trailer. Like there was a South Park version, I remember pretty clearly. Everybody was doing a, a thing with the, the trailer, um, but before the days of YouTube, uh, and I, I remember that moment when you see Darth Maul, and he you know the the snap hiss and the red blade comes out and you get excited, and then the other one comes out, yeah, and you just kind of like you lose your mind for a second, like I, that's that's so why didn't I ever think of that. Where well, that's exactly like what I would have drawn as a kid. This had kind of a similar effect where I'm watching the trailer and you hear the snap hiss and the red blade comes out. And there's like this weird crackle effect. You don't know. It's like is the rain. What's going on? It's like a broken lightsaber. And you're like me, at least I'm tuned into that for a second. I'm excited. Like I, I get chills. And then these little tiny blades come out the side. So my reaction went from, whoa, to wait, what? I just, you know, I,
0: I don't know. I accept it. I I didn't think it was, I I didn't, you know, it's obviously a weird design. I think if I were a Jedi or a Sith, I would not use a lightsaber like that. Um, (laughs) You're just that much more likely to hurt yourself. You know, I don't, I I feel like if you, if you know the force, the the force will keep you from hurting yourself with it. But (laughs) But what does it
1: do? What is it, what is it for? If it's a cross guard, I mean, the internet has done a pretty good job of of showing that that's a terrible design. If somebody's blade slides down, it's going to cut the metal part, not the blade. It's going to cut right through it.
0: Yeah, but maybe it... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's supposed to be something like a cross guard. Maybe it's just supposed to look cool. Maybe it's just, you know, the guy thinks it looks badass. I don't know. I've always had the impression that you don't really need a cross guard on lightsabers like you do on real swords. Because it seems to me like when two sabers connect, they kind of stick. And there's no way to slide it. Oh, really? I've yeah. never I've never gotten that out of it. But it I guess always seems seems like, It seems like when they lock up and they make that two sabers locked up sound. It doesn't seem like there's any kind of friction between them.
1: Uh, for a long time watching the, the Obi-Wan Vader fight at the end of a new hope. I thought that like Obi-Wan's blade was shorting out because the angle at which that scene was filmed, his lightsaber kind of tilts back and it looks yeah. like the blade shortens. So I thought yeah. for a long time that his blade was shorting out. And that's where the dramatic tension in that scene came from. It wasn't until later I realized it was the angle. Yeah. It's
0: funny. <laughs> a lot of that. It's funny because how the, The saber fights get ever more elaborate. You know the the one the one in Star Wars A New Hope is is so pedestrian Uh, (laughs) because it's it's just old guys. It's a couple of old guys. Well, and it's an old guy. David Prowse wasn't old at the time. He was actually pretty much in the prime of life. But he had a helmet on. I
1: I just meant the characters. Obi Wan and Vader were supposed to be. Yeah, but that's not why.
0: That's not why it was like that. I think it was. I think. Partially, Alec Guinness was was physically a little a little limited uh, because he was kind of old, Uh, and I think David Prowse famously couldn't see shit out of the Darth Vader helmet. He just couldn't see, so there was like you know severe limitations as to what or any stuntman who was in there you know could 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 see, and it was combined with I think the optical needs of the way that they you know the way that they had the sabers made so that they were made out of the glow glowy stuff that they could easily rotoscope the colors on yeah yeah maybe you know and they would just never done it before i mean and it still see because it had never been done before and it just looked so cool and you know maybe somebody had had the idea of laser swords you know in pulp science fiction you know for 100 years over and over and over again but nobody had ever made one that looked like it was really a real thing which is you know the 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 awesome part about lightsabers and a new hope. They looked real. But that lightsaber fight was pretty that was pretty weak. <laughs> Let me say this before before we go on too. I am super, super anti spoiler. Like I uh I know nothing about this new episode seven other than the basics of, you know, the the you know who's directing it, the cast, the rough time frame and that's it. I don't follow any of the rumor yeah. sites. I don't know anything I'm else. the same way.
1: I and didn't I, even
0: want to watch the trailer. I I trusted uh, – I might m- skip subsequent trailers. I trusted the fact that it was a, a immediately billed as a teaser. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like calling it a teaser made me feel very safe about watching it. I get – I don't like watching trailers for movies. And it, it kind of comes uh, – it really comes down to The Hunger Games. When I went to see The Hunger Games, it was because my friends wanted to go see a movie, and that's what they picked. I knew nothing about it other than the poster had a girl with a bow and arrow. Like I didn't know, I didn't even know it was based on a book. I went into that movie knowing nothing and knowing nothing, I enjoyed it. And I I was kind of hung up on how much I enjoyed every moment of that movie was a surprise to me. And I realized that most of the time, if I watch a trailer for something, it's a movie that I want to see. And if I want to see the movie, I already know going into the trailer that I want to see the movie. I know now I'm, I, they can, Disney can just have my money today. I'll pay for the ticket now. There's no way I'm not going to go see the next Star Wars movie. So what does watching the trailer get me? It can only show me things that I would get to see later and be surprised by.
0: Yeah, the modern era of trailer editing, which is evolved very, very clearly into the form of how how much can we condense the entire plot of this movie? Right. Minus maybe like a just the ultimate uh, plot twist at the end.
1: Everything but. The, yeah. And it, you know. if you're a movie person, then you like even while you're watching the movie, you'll start to figure things out. And if they give you enough plot points in the trailer, your moviegoer story follower mind is going to fill in those gaps. And you you know what the story is going to be before you can al- sit down in the theater. It always surprises me, too, when
0: and I'm not a big believer in like the three act structure. I don't think that any you know I, I don't think most good films adhere to it in a in a very formal sense. I just think it's the basic sense that you know eh, you know you want to have a beginning, middle and end um, but in loose terms, it always surprises me when a trailer that has my attention and hey, this looks like a good movie file this way, make a Vesper you know note you know make a note in Vesper to uh you know put it on my movies to watch list um. Once the trailer gets to that part where I'm into it, I, this is a movie I'm, I'm making a note now because when it comes out, I want to see it. And then it keeps going. I've already (laughs) been there and it keeps going and they're clearly going into act two, right? They're clearly going into the middle of the movie. And it's like, why, why are you showing me this? I don't want it. You already had me. Why, why are you doing this?
1: Like say something.
0: Let me let me just
1: experience this.
0: And I do think too, though, as somebody who has a, a rudimentary, you know, dilettante interest in making movies, and has, you know, I made student films in college, and I, you know, diddle with video now, and think about it. I understand, you know, how how fun it can be to edit video, but how hard it is to edit video. The way that you that trailer editors can condense a. a two hour motion picture into 90 seconds that spoils almost all of it is incredible artistically as like the craft of editing cinema, how, 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 how they can do it. But it's the effect of it is so,
1: it's just so disappointing. Well, ever since hunger games and I've, this I've established this rule. Every time I break it, every time I watch a trailer, I regret it. The most recent example is, I watched the trailer. Did you see uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West? No, that's... What's his name? Uh, the, uh, the Family yeah, Guy. Uh, yeah, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, I haven't seen that. Is it good? It, it might have been, but if you've seen the trailer, you've seen the movie.
0: <laughs> right, that's...
1: You know what? I have seen the trailer, and I know exactly you, what yeah, you're that, That's... Every funny thing that happens in that movie is in the trailer. Yeah. No,
0: that's a good example of a movie that I probably would have put on my to-watch to list, but didn't because I felt like the trailer spoiled it all. Like, I don't understand... Yeah, I
1: was... I was hoping because Family Guy as a show, like it or hate it, it's pretty dense with jokes. So I, I went in thinking, well, yeah, they put some stuff in the trailer, but there's going to be a lot of stuff. No, no. Those are all the jokes. Yeah. And to the point when the, when the things happened that happened in the trailer and people in the theater are laughing, I'm kind of wondering why. Like, did you not see the trailer? <laughs> yeah. How is it? How is this still funny to you? I, I remember very specifically there was a, a,
0: a movie, and I don't know why... Uh, it was a movie with uh, Robert De Niro and um, he was a, like a bounty hunter uh, going after Charles Grodin. It was an 80s movie. Hold on, let me look it up. De Niro and Charles Grodin. I have no idea what that would be. Midnight Run, 1988. Hmm. Now, for whatever reason, I saw, I, that was and now that was like when I was in like junior high, high school. I was going to movies every week. That was just what we did. You know, It was like a group of, teenagers as we went to movies. So I saw tons and that was like peak theater watching movies life for me. I saw the trailer for that movie like a dozen times and Charles Grodin is like a guy with a bunch of phobias and, uh, Robert De Niro is like a bounty hunter who's paid to bring him in because he's got like a bail outstanding. So oh,
1: I do remember this so movie. So
0: it's like a buddy, you know, it's like a mismatched, you know, it's the, the yeah. like in the tropes category, it's, De Niro's a tough guy and Grodin's at the opposite and he's got all these things. And he says like, uh, you know, there's this line where Charles Grodin says something like, I've got agoraphobia, agoraphobia, ac- you know, something else phobia, claustrophobia. And De Niro says, if you don't shut up, you're going to have fistophobia. And it was in the trailer every, all this time. And then we went to see the movie, and he gives the line in the movie, and it's it was, you know, and everybody in the theater laughed. And I remember thinking, why is everybody laughing? Surely you've seen this, because it's in all the trailers. <laughs> it was in the commercials. It was like the signature spoiled joke of the movie, but yet for some reason the theater still laughed.
1: Yeah, I, I don't get it. Well,
0: that's just, I, I think it's just something. I think I was too cynical at the time as a teenager. I think it's the way that in a crowd... People pay the movie. People want the movie to be good because they took two hours of their lives to see it, and they spent the money to get the ticket. They and they're you know in a community you know a group like they wouldn't laugh if they were watching it at home if it was yeah. spoiled. But you'd watch when you're in the theater. Like that's the difference.
1: Yeah, and that well, even a really funny movie if I'm watching it by myself at home I I rarely laugh out loud.
0: Right. It's a, laughter is a is like a laughter at a comedy movie is a is like a group thing.
1: Did you see somebody was just somebody maybe it was you somebody posted a link to the uh, the original trailer for A New Hope and rewatching that after watching the, the episode 7 trailer was a real a really interesting juxtaposition in the editing styles because then back in the 70s it was things like Meet Luke Skywalker a young yeah. adventurer and he'd like you give a little bit about the character and then it talks about and then they're going to have these crazy adventures and they do these things and they encounter these Villains, and you get excited about the type of story more than any specific thing that's going to happen. But they don't give anything away, at least in the in the dialogue. But if you watch uh, the the video that's going by, if you've seen that movie, then it's like wow, they, they kind of give everything away. But I, you don't know that. I think I think I know which
0: version of the trailer you're talking about. I think it was one, and they didn't even have the the music yet. Is that the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't even have the music, and so there's this weird. We'll have to see if we can get a copy of that for the show notes. But there's a weird. Um, it's like, you know, in your mind that without the John Williams music, Star Wars wouldn't quite be Star Wars, that it's as essential, maybe even more essential than any, you know, any cast member more than the logo or, you know, it's, it's that essential to the fabric of what it feels like to be a Star Wars movie. You know, that it's, you know, you don't even have to think too much about like the role that, that musical scoring can play in cinema. But then to see a trailer where there is no actual John Williams star Wars music, you just think, man, this is just, this is like
1: a saltine without salt. This just isn't right. What's that, that opening note, just that one yeah. note is enough to get you excited. No right. clearer example than in the new teaser. When you right. see the millennium Falcon and you hear the, the score swell up, you get chills. Right. At least I did. Yeah. It was like a real, like, I could feel like my I got butterflies. I got really, really excited. Because it's like everything that, everything I need to tell me that this movie is a Star Wars movie is right there on the screen. Give me, give me the Millennium Falcon and a John Williams score. Just even the first note of the John Williams score. And I'm in. I'm hooked. You've got my money. Yeah.
0: So kudos to J.J. To Abrams and to, to Disney and everybody else that they, they made a completely, well, not completely spoiler free, but as spoiler free as anything could be.
1: A true teaser. What? Well, we were, we were talking about this on Twitter the the question of the stormtrooper and whether or not he's really a stormtrooper. I mean, there's a lot of room for speculation, so much room for speculation that the speculation it, it's purely fun. I don't feel like we can ruin it. I don't feel like seeing that guy in a stormtrooper outfit ruins anything. I don't know who he is. I don't right. know why he's an is he a stormtrooper or is he a guy who is disguised as a stormtrooper? Right, the old Han and Luke trick. Right, and so we end up having a conversation like we did on, on Twitter about you know what does this mean and what could, but there's no way we can, there's no way any of that discussion would ruin anything. I like how this episode is turning into the Star Wars special episode
0: of the talk show. Oops. Uh, let's take a break and, uh, sure. and thank uh, our first sponsor. It's uh, our good friend George Lucas. <laughs> uh, no, it is our good friends at Need, N-E-E-D. Uh, Need is a refined retailer... And lifestyle magazine for men. Uh, I've had people since they've started sponsoring a show who've who've uh, who've mentioned that man. You say lifestyle magazine for men, and it's like your eyes start rolling back in your head. And uh, my friend Jim Ray, you know Jim Ray? Yeah, I know Jim Ray. now uh, uh, Jim Ray is by far and away the best dressed friend that I have. Jim Jim Ray, I always looks like he's just stepped out of a goddamn magazine ad. He is well-groomed. He is well-tailored. He it's it, it always looks stylish. I always feel like a slob next to him, no matter how well-dressed I am. Jim Ray told me, and this is great, that he heard the show, and he, he heard me say that Need is a lifestyle magazine for men, and it made him his eyes roll, even though he clearly reads things like that so he can stay up on fashion, but he checked them out anyway and then he said to me you know they're like the lifestyle magazine for men who roll their eyes at the words lifestyle magazine for men
1: and <laughs> it's i was funny like you'd mention him because i was i i went to look at the website earlier when i was talking to matt alexander the guy who who runs it i went to the website to check it out and my first thought was this this looks like what jim ray would do <laughs> yeah. it's it, it but i love jim's description it's the lifestyle
0: magazine for men who don't like lifestyle magazines for men uh and it is they source and curate a selection of exclusive products from brands around the world, things like shirts, slacks, pants, shoes, watches, um, anything like that. Uh, and it's curated, meaning there's you don't go there and have to pick between 40 different styles of pants. They go, they have like three, like a pair of jeans, a pair of uh, khakis, and something else and that's it and if you like one of those three you pick your size and you buy it and if you don't wait till the next edition and maybe they'll have something else that you like but that way you're not sitting there making choices they've made these choices for you and if you see something you like you get it Uh, they just launched their holiday collection this is volume 2.1 just came out Uh, perfect timing for this episode of the show they're offering some exclusive products which are great gift ideas from brands like Grenson, Happy Socks, uh, Men in Cities, and more. They're launching an exclusive stocking stuffers collection on Monday. So that's probably, I'm guessing that's, uh, yeah, Monday, December 8th. So right in the middle of this episode. So it's, you know, you might be listening, it's already out. Uh, And they have an ongoing essentials collection that's at uh, their website neededition.com slash essential and that features items mostly under 50 bucks uh, from studio neat those are the cool guys who make the glyph and a bunch of other cool products I love I've got it. like
1: the the ice thing now too yeah they've got the nice ice isn't that nice ice that they call it I forget what they call it but it's it's uh the thing where you get like the the nice clear ice cube right you gotta break it in half it's kind of a weird setup but if you if you're if you're as hardcore about your ice, as I know some people are. This is the way to go. Uh, foot cardigan, the manual,
0: and more. Uh, really great stuff. So if you're interested in getting some sharper clothes for yourself or just stuff that you might be interested in, they've got other stuff besides clothes. Um, and they commission. They've got articles, and they, they've got great photography. And they do that. They hire independent photographers to shoot all their photos. Um, so they're putting good, good photographers to work on original work. Really great. It's just a cool website to check out. Um, Again, the website is need edition, not a edition like math, like edition like the the Apple Watch. Neededition.com. Go there and check them out. They don't have any kind of URL slug or anything like that. But they have a special deal for talk show listeners. Place an order. Buy anything you want. And then shoot an email over to uh, hello at com. Just send an email and put in the subject line old-fashioned. And anyone who does that, anyone who buys anything from them and then emails hello at neededition.com with the subject line old-fashioned will get a bunch of extras in their order. You know, magazines, coffee, accessories, anything they have laying around that's really cool. Uh, and the first 10 orders that do it will get a free... Uh, DOP kit. What's a DOP kit? Do you know what one is?
1: I have no idea what a DOP kit is. Well,
0: you're going to get one. Uh, <laughs> and it's worth 90 bucks. So the first 10 orders that do it, we'll, we'll get it. So that's great. You'll get 90 bucks worth of stuff, and you'll find out what a DOP kit is. So that's pretty cool.
1: And you'll, also... You'll know before us. Wait, I'm looking it up. i got to look up what a DOP kit is. D-O-P-P-K-I-T. Oh, oh. It's uh, it's like a, a travel toiletry bag. Ah,
0: well, that's awesome. And that, but see, now you've spoiled it for everybody. Well, oh. anyway, first 10 people to do it, it's, it pays to uh, use Overcast and have uh, the talk show show up automatically. First 10 people who do it uh, get 90 bucks worth of free, uh, 90 buck uh, dop kit. Uh, I should probably get that. I need a, a toiletries kit. I just carry my stuff around in like a Ziploc bag. Oh, it's uh, like a savage. No, I don't. I have something a little better than a Ziploc, but it's pretty shitty. Um, anyway. Anybody who emails them after ordering will receive 25% off for the next three months of stuff that they order. So my thanks. That's nuts. My thanks to need addition.com. Uh, great, great sponsor.
1: It's like a, what a great way, if, if you want to, if you care about looking good, but you want to put zero effort or thought into it, this is a great way to go. And I don't even mean that in a bad way. I mean that very uh, complimentary to the service that you, The we could just go to a website and, and click on something. All you have to know is your size. And you can look good. That's I've, incredible.
0: I've always thought I've said this before in many different contexts, but it is a general rule of thumb. You seldom go wrong by, uh, thinking that the most interesting of anything is at the extremes, the very biggest, the very smallest, um, the most complicated, the most simple, right? Those are the areas where to me, anything, whether it's something you're buying a device or whatever, is just the most interesting. Um, uh, and I would say like need is almost like the antithesis of Amazon. You go to Amazon and it's like the, they even call it the everything store, right? It's, it's the, And it's not only does Amazon sell everything, they have these partnerships with all these other things. So you search for something and you get results from other stores. Uh, you go to need and they've got like one pair of jeans right now. That's <laughs> like here's your jeans this month. Right. Done. Right. Do these look good? Yes. All right. Give us your size. We'll send them to you. No? I haven't okay, I haven't, haven't done
1: time. the the pricing yet, but I'm tempted. I wonder how much it would be to just every month you just buy everything they offer.
0: Yeah. Just I bet like, it wouldn't be that much money. Just have like a standing, you know, have your size, have your size, you know, your shirt size and your pants size just done uh, standing order.
1: Yeah. Let me subscribe to that. Like, yeah. let me just get like, here's my size. Here's my money. Charge my card every month, whatever it's going to cost and just send me the new stuff. Yeah. A, a clothing of the month club yeah
0: um all right star wars trailer should we dissect it i say i'm gonna save everything else about star wars for a future episode but we could dissect the trailer
1: <laughs> we can dissect the trailer i I um, think who
0: do you think the narrator is
1: i know the actor like, the actor okay uh, it's andy circus right, right right uh there was some speculation that it was benedict cumberbatch which was uh i, I can hear it but uh be a be a weird choice yeah unless Khan shows up in this movie too
0: i'm Presume it
1: feels to me cinematically
0: like the narrator of the film or of the tr- teaser is the Sith or Sith-like guy we see with the red lightsaber. That that's him.
1: I read it as, uh, like some sage-like character. But I guess there is a there's like an air of darkness or villainy to the voice. Yeah,
0: he sounds a little Sith-like. Sounds a little bit like Darth Maul, actually. Hmm. Jonas think thinks a... though Jonas watched it with me he thinks that the character with the red lightsaber is a woman he thinks it's like a witch I, I that would be interesting I think he's thrown off though by the sort of kilt like thing that the guy's wearing
1: no yeah, because uh that's pretty typical I mean even uh Darth Vader kind of wears a skirt yeah but Jonas but he but his cape usually hides it yeah. Well, see, I don't, I don't read it as a, as a woman, but I think it's, it's interesting because the, the way the figure, the posture of the figure sort of masks gender. Like if, if they were just yes. standing up straight, you could you could kind of read it.
0: Yeah, I you know it it could just be it, it honestly. I, after he said that to me, I rewatched it. I've watched it like a dozen times. I did rewatch it, and after he, at first I thought no way, and then I rewatched it, and it does seem possible at least. And it does it makes me realize that even as open minded as I try to be, I have a a older you know I'm the old dad who just assumes if you have a red lightsaber, you're a man. Even though I've seen the you know the the Clone Wars thing with Asajj Ventress and you know, but Jonas as you know as a much more th- you know it was, he was much more open to the idea that that character could be a man or woman.
1: Well, it's nice to see the Sith being more inclusive. If that's the case. <laughs> I, do you think in this? Uh, do, do you think that the lightsaber might have something to do with that? I mean, if that's the case, I don't mean the uh, the weird cross guard thing, but like the weird kind of almost flame looking blade rather than just a the solid yeah there's like, a john
0: there's an article i'll put it in the show notes i already have it written down john Brownlee in fast company fast company's design blog has a thing uh, in defense of the new star wars lightsaber uh and his argument is that each jedi's at least the major characters you know like some of the scenes in the prequel trilogy where they had like a hundred jedi running around you know and you know, it, they were just all copy and paste jobs. You know, you get blue, you get green, you get blue, you get green. But well, every, they only
1: had a year and a half to make those movies.
0: The, but so. the major characters all had a lightsaber that said something about their character. And I think that's true, you know. And, you know, like Obi, like he says, like Obi Wan's lightsaber is just plain and he's, you know, and it's simple and it's elegant. It is exactly what he says it's the elegant weapon from a more civilized time. Um, uh, Even in the original, Darth Vader's lightsaber had a black, you know, more black than chrome on the handle. Just looked a little bit more.
1: And at the time, he was the only one who had a red lightsaber.
0: Right. Which looks, it just, at least to my eyes, you know, and maybe it's just I'm trained it, but it just seems more natural that the bad guys would have red. Right? Red's the color of.
1: Yeah. We didn't see green until Return of the Jedi. And then I guess the only reason we saw green is because it showed up better against the the blue sky on Tatooine.
0: Yeah. No, that was actually yeah. That's the exact story. Is that they were they they had they just they at the time they just thought blues good guys are blue, bad guys are red, and then they went to do it and they'd never do, done one outside before and and they were
1: like wow this it doesn't look good, <laughs> um, and so they said well we'll make it green, yeah it works, and then even uh, episode one we still only see red green blue. It wasn't until episode two uh, that we start to see other colors, and I think the the first. Non red green blue we saw was Mace Windows you right. know, the the purple right uh, uh, the story goes that Samuel L Jackson specifically requested purple yeah I've heard that story
0: and I heard that it, then that Lucas said no 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 and then like a day later Lucas
1: came back is you know what I thought about it sure <laughs> what do you think is going through Lucas's head like what do you what do you think his thought process is like does, is there like some canonical here's how the gems inside the thing work uh, or. Or is he just like trying to hold steadfast to some ideology he has about not? Well, no, he's totally okay with changing.
0: I don't know. Somehow it worked though for me. Like it's one of the things, the little things that worked for me in the prequel trilogy. Where it is it's uh, somehow in a world where uh, we went from an original trilogy where there were only three Jedi, four if you count Vader.
1: Right. Oh, I bet that was it. I bet it was the the scene at the the end of Clones where you've got, you know, a thousand Jedi on the screen at the same time. Right. How do you how do
0: you more visually establish that Mace Windu is above all of these guys? That he's, you know, he's you know, in a in a in a trilogy filled with at some points in some scenes hundreds of Jedi. How do you have how do you establish that this guy is a
1: cut above or two cuts above? Well not just that, but the if I'm Lucas Uh, I go home and I think to myself, well, I've got to do this scene with a thousand Jedi on the screen at once. And if all you see is Mm. green and blue, Oh, you could see where you
0: could see where Mace Windu was in the movie.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, not just that, but you could realize, well, if I'm going to give people like yellow and pink and all this other shit, I, I should just give him the purple lightsaber. So, uh, this
0: guy at fast company, Brownlee, he, his theory is that because at the end of return of the Jedi, the only two Sith left, uh, the emperor and, vader are killed that anybody whoever this guy is if he is a sith to restart the sith he didn't have a master to teach him how to make a lightsaber right and so oh, he that's had to do it on his own and that's why it crackles and sizzles and seems a little bit less a little bit you know a little bit less technically well put together uh, another assumption of the male pronoun yeah well I, I don't know. He, she, I don't know what to say there, but yeah, this character. No,
1: Oh, I, I not, not to you, but right. more to just like the idea that even this guy. Right. No, I, I think that that would be a really interesting switch to, it would, it would play against our expectations. But in my mind, story-wise, I would have assumed that whoever the new Sith is would have been like a student of Luke's or something that has gone to the dark side mm. rather than somebody who just like woke up one day Although, you know, if uh if, if the good guys can show up as ghosts and help guide other good guys, uh like like Obi-Wan and, and Yoda did with Luke, maybe there's something to the Emperor was able to do the same thing to restart shit.
0: Well, and the other thing too that uh the the, the whole thing with there's only two at a time, uh that's a dumb rule. That's a dumb rule. And it was clearly already broken. They just didn't call them Sith. Like, you know, there were already... You know, there was the video game. I mean, again, what's canon and what's not anymore is up to, for date. But there was the one... I think it was actually called... Wasn't it called, like, The Secret Apprentice, where Vader had a secret apprentice? You probably uh, played the game. The
1: Force Unleashed.
0: Right. So he had yeah. a secret apprentice. And, the, you know, even if you say, well, a video game isn't canon, I think the Clone Wars show is. And... um. You know, there was Asajj Ventress, who was like a secret apprentice to Dooku. Uh, so there were, you know, there's there's a, a, a established idea that there are Sith-like Force users who are trained by the Sith who just aren't called Sith and use red lightsabers, and you
1: know, it could just be one of them. Uh, I I would say that because what we get the the always two thing. It's from that line of dialogue from Yoda. Right, always, two there are, and I think that that the more I don't know, forgiving reading of that line would be that what he meant was there's always going to be more. If if we see one, there's got to be another one. Right, there's always a a master and apprentice. Not that there are only two, exactly two, but there are always at least two. They're always coming pairs. Right, right. Right. Like we've we've seen this one dude. There's going to be another dude. We don't know if this is the master or the apprentice, but there's going and somewhere out there, there's another dude.
0: It just seems, it's like you said, it's such a stupid rule that if they, if their, if their goal was to overthrow the Jedi order where there's hundreds of them, all right,
1: we're going to overthrow these guys and we're only going to have two of us. Do you think like somewhere along the way, as they're passing down the stories, like one of the guys, when he's training his new apprentice, maybe just leave out the part where everybody before you, including you, has killed their master. Or just leave that out of the history so that you don't plant that idea yeah. in your apprentice's head. Yeah. <laughs> because to me i'd be like you know what fuck it i'm not training an apprentice i'm just i'll be the last one i'll live forever it's gonna be great i think it's because i think the idea there was that they always you know
0: that each one of them is so arrogant and so confident in their uh, you know dominance over their apprentice that they're they're not they always think that this can't happen to me
1: but when you're like the 300th one and you know you know from history that that's always gone the other direction that's not a reasonable thing to think anymore Right. It's like, I know you and I trust you. But if I
0: knew that (laughs) if I knew that the last 30 people who who hired a UI designer to to work with them got killed by them, like it really I'm pretty sure that you're I I trust you. You seem like a non psychopath. You seem like a friend. (laughs) But I probably wouldn't. I probably decided not to
1: hire a UI designer. Right. It would be a good choice. They are to go wrong. Like, do you think in in like Sith orientation? Is there like okay? Well, here's here's the story of how literally everyone before you has killed their master, including me. Uh, But don't do that, (laughs) please. Uh,
0: uh, What else happens in the trailer? We see some stormtroopers. X-Wings. Yeah,
1: the the new stormtroopers. And that's, I think, notable. That says a lot about the movie and the the time period and and the attitude of the movie that we see stormtroopers where at at some point in the last 30 years in a galaxy far, far away, not only is the Empire still going, uh, they've hired some industrial designers to come in and and redo some shit.
0: Yeah, it seems like a slightly tweaked stormtroopers.
1: Like yeah, they, it's not it's not a huge departure. Like they feel like stormtroopers. Right. In the same way that the clone troopers kind of feel like stormtroopers, but more uh just on the other side of it. Like there hasn't been even though it's been a longer period of time, it seems like there's been less advancement, which is what you would expect from an empire that's, you know, just lost their emperor. Right. But there's still, you know, there's still designers working out costume details and and maybe there's some new ships and stuff, but notably uh the tie fighters we see look at like the end,
0: Yeah, they look like tie fighters
1: yeah they look like tie fighters uh the x-wings we see look pretty much like x-wings but with a little bit of, uh, of advancement and it, so in the same way that um original trilogy the universe felt lived in like right. everything had carbon scoring on it. everything was a little broken a little bit shitty uh it, it kind of seems like we're, we're on an upswing like the economy is getting better but it, it hasn't turned around so much like there's been a long period where things still kind of sucked and yeah. there wasn't a lot of technological advancement, which is what I would expect to have happened there, and it feels authentic.
0: Yeah, my my read just based on the teaser is that the 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 tremendous victory of both blowing up a second Death Star and killing the Emperor and Vader and leave, leaving the entire you know, which presumably the entire you know leadership structure of the Empire was you know. A, a, based on the Emperor's extraordinary, you know, abilities, um, has crippled the Empire, but, like, didn't defeat them. They were still and it, uh, you know, the entire vast Imperial army, their military remained loyal to the cause of the Empire. Um, and that the rebel is, the, the rebellion is still thus, still, like, the scrappy upstart planets that are fighting against them. So, like, it maybe, like, knocked, them, knocked it down so that they were on even terms, and it's been like a thirty-year war of attrition.
1: Oh, that's interesting.
0: That's my read from the
1: from the teaser. Yeah, yeah, I could get that. And maybe uh, like not not necessarily that the empire has got their back up against a wall, but more that th- they had to decentralize leadership or something. Or maybe somebody stepped in and there's a you know and lost new... so
0: many resources that they're no longer they're no longer uh, advancing at the extreme pace that they were when we last saw them. Right, like when right. we last saw them. They went in just 20 years from the prequel trilogy to the um, to the original trilogy. They went from those Republic starships we saw in the Clone Wars to the Star Destroyers and TIE Fighters. You know, that we see, you know, lots of technical advancement in their starship design and armor design in 20 years. But now in 30 years, they've made very little progress at all. And the Rebellion hasn't really either because they're still, you know, up against it. That's my review. But they still had time to redesign the Stormtrooper outfits. Not really redesign. I would say it was more like a like a dot one, Like a... <laughs> like a point release. Yeah, like a 1.1 1. 1 release of the, st- of the armor.
1: And there could have been like some kind of necessity there. Like oh. maybe they just ran out of that armor. I'm a maybe little surprised that the TIE fighters look
0: exactly the same, though. Because I, I always thought as a kid, based on Return of the Jedi, like when the TIE Interceptors came out, which were much more like... Um, like Vader's prototype from 1977 with like the tie advance. Yeah. Yeah. With the, uh, uh, you know, the curved wings, like the, the three panel, almost like octagonal. wings. Yeah. The, the, the bombers
1: had that too. I thought that the tie interceptors were like the new models that were coming in, but who knows what the explanation is. Maybe they're more expensive. (laughs) Maybe I'm just thinking the, the economics of video games where, uh, in the games, any of like the, like the the X-wing tie fighter games the the tie fighter has no shields and just kind of sucks but the <laughs> tie interceptor has shields and uh, i was it that one or the advanced one of them it can it can even go to light speed and it just seemed to me that we'll just stop using the tie fighters they they have no shields like you're just sending people to their death with those things yeah they uh, they well they went
0: for a quantity over quality approach We'd rather have 100 TIE fighters than 10, you know, X-wings.
1: Well, it's clearly the mark of a military that doesn't feel like it has much in the way of opposition. The TIE fighters were there to show off how many they had, to, to like just be a, uh, an imposing presence. Right, and that they, they didn't were not even, designed for real battle. Right, and they didn't really even value the lives of their own troops. Yeah, because everybody was the Empire, so we'll right. just replacing maybe even at the time maybe they were still using clones for some of this stuff i thought the other one of the other interesting things in the teaser is that uh,
0: none of the shots of the ships are in space that when you see the x-wings they're flying really low like almost right right a a few feet above the surface of some body of water and when we see the falcon and the tie fighters coming at it it's
1: right above the (laughs) surface of the planet it just now occurs to me, you're right. So we've got we've got a teaser for a movie called Star Wars that doesn't show a single star. Right. I don't think it
0: did. Well, maybe there's at the end when the, when the credit comes up, it shows a star field when the logo comes up. But we don't see any footage of space. Yeah. Right. We don't see it. And we don't see any big space cruisers. We don't see any, you know, star destroyers or whatever the Republic has. Wow. Well, I hope nothing happened to space. Pretty cool. What do you think about the idea that they didn't show any of the... That the only face they show is the the new character, the the black guy in the Stormtrooper outfit. What's the actor's name?
1: Oh, I for, I forget. He's somebody that I hadn't heard of before. Yeah. He's a British dude. Uh, I think it's, it's... I want to believe... I, I sincerely want to believe that everything about this teaser was a well-thought-out decision. John Boyega. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I want to believe that everything we were shown, we were shown for a reason. Yes. I want to believe that not only were we not shown, well, no, the, the other face we see is the the girl riding on the... Oh, thing, right, the okay, planet. right. There. Yeah, uh, who, just looking at her, she's got like a real uh, Natalie Portman, Carrie Fisher kind of look. Yeah. And so it wouldn't be a big jump. I think most people are assuming that she must be like Han and Leia's kid. Uh, but the, the characters we see, the faces we do see, the... They're new characters. These are people we have no idea who they are. This isn't Harrison Ford. This isn't Mark Hamill. It says to me that they they want our expectation going in to be that we're going to be exposed to new things, not just uh, fan service rehashing of old stuff. Yeah. Th- that said, it ends with a shot of the Millennium Falcon right as we hear the, the John Williams right. score fanfare swell up. So... Again, it feels deliberate. Like show us the show us the things that are going to get us interested, and give us a sense of what we should expect from the movie. Which I think is going to be this is a familiar world, but we're going to be meeting new people. We're going to be taking things beyond what you what you've seen before, and then ending it on a note of uh, literally on a note of here's what here's what we we know you came in hoping to see. Uh,
0: My favorite. You remember this? I don't know if you remember this. It was. When when were the original the, when did the special editions come out? It was like uh 97. 97. I remember some you know when the trailer for that or teaser came out for that. It was really good teaser. It was in the theater and it was like it showed a TV and mm-hmm. it was like for you know for a generation kids, you know, people have only seen yeah. the Star Wars trilogy on on the uh, you know TV set. And then an X-wing <laughs> blew up the TV set. It like it ends up the TV <laughs> set was in outer space, and an X-wing flew by and like blew it up.
1: Which and, sounds really cheesy when you describe it now. But at no, but time, it was powerful.
0: Good. No, but like somebody at like you know ILM did it right. Like it looked right. It didn't.
1: Well, look I mean, like, just conceptually, just the idea of a t- uh, an X-wing right. blowing up a TV just sounds dumb. Right. That's and, like how did that ever get past the the, the first pitch meeting? Right. It sounds like something that you would do like in the
0: Terry Gilliam style from <laughs> you know. It would just be silly, but it a giant know, foot squishes it. Yeah, it somehow worked because it was just like we're not going to show you any of it yet. We're just going to let you know you're going to see it on a big ass screen,
1: <laughs> which is really all you need to know. You know, even even for what it was, we can say there's a lot that could be said about the the special editions. the The idea that things were put into into the movie to make it better, to enhance it for, to make it feel more uh, modern, to clean it up. That was exciting. I think the execution was terrible, but the idea was really that, that you'd get like a really crisp, clean print, and they cleaned it up, and the blacks would be blacker, and the, the lines would be cleaner. That sounded great. If that meant that we had to sit through a couple of extra dewbacks in the, the Tatooine Stormtrooper scene, then fine. Whatever. Some of them are okay. I, I don't want to get into it, but I mean, it's like my,
0: my basic feeling, I didn't. I don't have any kind of purity uh, you know that oh it has to be exactly like what you saw in 1977 or it's you know it doesn't count I wasn't opposed to any it's minor tweaks but some of them were just so stupid I mean the Han shot first thing is right right
1: if you get rid of that awful Jabba scene and you get rid anytime anytime you digitally move Han Solo Anytime Harrison Ford is on screen and they they digitally alter anything, take those out and put them back the way they were. And the rest of it I'm fine with. It should have been
0: it should have been limited to things that only true obsessives, obsessives would even notice. That you'd almost have to see it side by side to notice it. Like, oh, there was only one do back back in it then. Now there's a couple. But or anything the
1: the 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 I I forget what it's even called. The the monster, the the big animal thing on uh in Mos Eisley that the jawa falls off of. Yeah. Like even that was kind of okay. Like it didn't it didn't take me out of the movie. It was kind of silly, but it didn't right. offend me. All right. I remember
0: and I remember liking some. Like I thought like the way that they spruced up Cloud City, uh, Bespin in uh, Empire Strikes Back, where there was more stuff going on outside the windows. Yeah, it made uh, it feel
1: more alive, unless like a matte painting.
0: Yeah, and it is in hindsight, you know the the lack of anything outside the windows in the original felt a little cheap. I don't know, but yeah, yeah, like they like it felt like you're there on a set, right. But, you know, I, I don't know. I still think... I think even the Jawa falling off, though. Anything that's like a gag is too much. I, but, well, you know, he didn't need it. But anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. It was a good... It, it The best thing about the special editions, though, is that it let us know that George Lucas had lost his mind. And it <laughs> I think it
1: set expectations for the new trilogy accordingly. Do you really think it did? Because I've... Everybody I, think, I know still managed to be disappointed. I think the reaction
0: to *Phantom Menace* would have been even more heartbreaking. I think there would have been people jumping mm. off buildings if it if it had come out, of, dropped out of the blue without the special editions. Like the special editions, if the special editions didn't make everybody's uh, f- feel like there was a disturbance in the force, then you're, <laughs> not, you're not hooked up right.
1: I remember when uh, *Phantom Menace* came out, opening day. I went and saw it in the theater, and I walked out and me and my friends and everybody else that I could hear talking outside the theater, everybody was really excited. Everybody enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I did too. It it weren't bad. They're, they're, you know, I've said this before. They're not terrible. They're only, they're only significantly worse compared to the original trilogy. And I, I see lots and lots of, of action movies, you know, the type of movies where there are things like laser guns and, and chase scenes and, and, you know, superhero powers and stuff like that. And the, the, the prequel trilogy is way better
1: than almost all of them. It's way better than typical stuff that I see.
0: you know.
1: It's Maybe better than typical. I was going to go the other direction, though. I was going to say that it wasn't that Phantom Menace was a good movie or even uh, necessarily a passable movie. I think that it's people went into that theater so fully prepared to be excited that uh, they could not emotionally handle the movie they actually saw, and so they had to walk out feeling good about it. And it wasn't until maybe... Uh, the next morning when we all woke up and we got in the shower and we get out, we still don't quite feel clean that it starts to dawn on us that that was a really terrible thing that it just happened.
0: Now, I remember thinking as I watched, I, I didn't come out thinking it was a, a bad movie and I still don't think it's a bad movie. But there, the parts that, that were that were worst were so obviously bad right away. Like but you don't think it's a bad movie. I
1: don't. I think it's, you know, I it's, think it's like it's, a B minus action movie. It's supposed to be a kids' movie, and it all centers around trade negotiations.
0: Yeah, but they don't spend too much time. I agree; it's it's stupid. I remember thinking at the time, it's like, God, why are they going on on this? And I I,
1: still don't really know what happened in that
0: movie. No, and I still, yeah, and I also think that it suffered, you know, from some fundamental, big picture problems like establishing which sides the good guys, which sides the bad guys. You know, they like that awesome, incredible clarity—the way that the Empire was almost Nazi-like, deliberately. I mean, it's you know. You know the, the helmet design for yeah. Vader comes from a, a you know one of the inspirations is a, a you know a Nazi helmet. Um, uh, the lack of clarity the whole trilogy suffers from that you know and it's all based on the stupid cockamamie idea that the you know that the Emperor was more or less you know trumped up the whole war on false charges and there was no good guys or bad guys and it just makes the movie less enjoyable as as popcorn thriller. Like if you're mm-hmm. going to make a popcorn movie, you want to have Crisply, clearly defined: good guys, bad guys. Not any kind of ambiguity in that in that area. Yeah, you should you should know who's who, right? And it's you know who's fighting with whom. What? Why are they fighting the droids?
1: You know. It's- and every time we meet somebody interesting, they almost immediately die. <laughs> uh, S- seriously, Darth Maul. We, we we get to meet that guy. We're excited, and then he gets cut in half.
0: Uh I kind of I, I had a feeling that he was going to go down because he didn't he didn't talk enough. The fact yeah, that he didn't we talk made it feel like they were setting us up for that.
1: Yeah, but we we see the trailer, and we're all super excited about Darth Maul, and then he he's barely in the movie, and when he's in the movie, he's awesome, and then he dies. Yeah, and the best good and, guy in the movie is Qui-Gon, too, because Obi- Obi- yeah. Obi-Wan
0: had such a limited part
1: in the movie. Yeah, like our hero, the only thing that we can like even remotely attach to emotionally, he dies. But the thing and, to, to me, the thing that stuck out the most about that movie...
0: Uh, originally and instantly, the first you know, and I saw it on opening day too, was the whole opening the can of worms with this Metaklorians nonsense. Oh yeah, right. And it's to me the thing with the Metaklorians thing is, it it really made it, the movie would only make sense if you found out that you know like due to some the way that the contracts were written for the movies that 20th Century Fox held the rights to make prequels. And George Lucas wanted nothing to do with it, but he didn't have the he didn't have the legal ability to do it. And so Twentieth Century Fox went ahead and made this prequel trilogy without George Lucas's, you know, approval or insight or input and they handed it to a bunch of people who had no idea what it who
1: didn't really understand what made the original the original trilogy what it was. Right. So they've got to drop like the Emperor from a helicopter, and they can't call anything Spectre.
0: Right. What made the original trilogy so great was that it it explained so little. And was built, you know, it felt like you were seeing a two-hour snippet of something that could have been 80 hours. And they never, they just told you your father fought in the Clone Wars. Never told you what it was. It just sounds like a cool name for a science fiction war, right? Your father fought in the Clone Wars. They don't even, there's no explanation for it. That's all they say.
1: And, and you, that's the best explanation. It just sounds like the, right. it, it, it fills out the world. It makes the world seem so much bigger. There's right. a real history in this world. Right. And then the, the new one is just, uh, you know, filling in. It's just explaining
0: all the mysteries from the first trilogy and creating no new mysteries of its own. Like, no, uh, like if it had been done successfully... You know, in the way that people wanted a prequel trilogy, like when people heard that the new Star Wars trilogy was going to be a prequel rather than a sequel, and it was going to go back in time rather than forward, it sounded exciting, right? Everybody was in favor of the general idea, because the first trilogy had opened up all these mysteries that everybody wanted answered, or at least that they thought they wanted answered. The only way the prequel trilogy would have worked was if the prequel trilogy had itself left it it open that, wow, I'd like to go back another 30 years in time and see what happened then, right? There should have been just as many mysteries about what had led up to the prequel trilogy as there was in the original trilogy.
1: Yeah, right now, in in my mind, the chronology of the Star Wars universe is all the stuff that happened in the original trilogy uh, and then all the stuff that happened in the prequel trilogy. And before that was like, I don't know, 10,000 years ago, the Jedi Order formed. Yeah, Maybe there's some stuff that happened then. I don't really care. All right, and
0: instead we got like an explanation for the Force that makes it sound as though if you gave a Jedi
1: a blood transfusion, he'd lose his powers. Right, right. <laughs> what? <laughs> like now, now there's a thing you could physically take away from somebody.
0: Right. They have like a device that you could like stick the, the kid's hand and it comes up with a number. <laughs> like you're taking a standardized test.
1: But, well, it seems like the only reason to do that as, as a writer, the only reason to do that is to explain how they were able to... Like you have to have some way of showing that Anakin tests off the charts. I guess. But that's, why not just say you sense it, right? Well, I'm not saying that right. he handled it well. I'm not right. saying it was a good decision. I'm just saying that's got to be – that's the only thing I could think of that, that Lucas said, well, okay, well, I've got to solve this problem. Here's how I'll do it. Well, it was it's a pretty ham-fisted way.
0: And it's totally not cinematic. A cinematic would've, way would have been to do something that was physical. Like make him like a test of how many, you know, how heavy a thing he could levitate or something like that.
1: Right. Or do it like, uh, yeah, yeah, like, like uh, Yoda and Luke in the swamp on Dagobah when he has to lift up the X-Finger, when he goes into the cave and he fights Vader, who turns out to be him. Like, give us a, a nice callback to that. Yeah. That would be the way to handle it. That's how they did it with Luke. It was yeah. good enough for Luke. Speaking of Yoda, let me tell you about our good friends at uh, Squarespace. I can see that connection.
0: <laughs> Squarespace is uh, the all-in-one platform for building websites. Uh, they just launched Squarespace 7, a new version. Uh, you can go to squarespace.com slash 7, S-E-V-E-N, spell it out, and get a full detail on all the stuff that's new. But it's a redesigned interface. Uh, integrated, they have added integration with Google Apps, uh, partnership with Getty Images for uh, uh, stock photography and stuff like that. Fifteen all new templates with Squarespace seven. Uh, things like cover pages. Uh, all these templates beautifully designed. I don't know how they. I don't know how they keep popping out so many great templates with all these designs. And and part of the thing that makes the new Squarespace seven interface so much better than what came before. And it really has always been a good interface for a while. But it's all. WYSIWYG. Like you're, when you're looking at your own website and you're logged in and you want to change something, you can just change it right there. You don't have to go to a separate editing interface. You can just edit it right there in place. Uh, Really, really visual and amazing degree of customizability without any kind of technical coding acumen. Uh, But if you do want to get in there, if you do have coding level, expertise. You can go in there, inject your own JavaScript, change the templates the way that you want, anything like that. Simple and beautiful, um, very powerful. Everybody gets, every Squarespace account gets commerce. You don't have to pay extra to have an online store with your Squarespace site. It's just one of the features they offer. They take care of all the hard stuff, you know, the security, the taking the credit cards, everything like that. You just arrange your store the way you, you arrange the rest of your site graphically. Uh, everything's responsive. Your website scales to look great on phones, tablets, big 30-inch cinema displays. Uh, and it starts at just 8 bucks a month, and you get a free domain name if you pay for the year. Uh, 24-7 tech support, uh, you name it, you get it. If you have a website you want to build, you're going to save so much time, and you're going to save money, too, by doing it at Squarespace. Um, you can start a trial with no credit card required, no credit card. Just go there, sign up, go to, uh, here's the URL to use so they know you came from the show. Go to squarespace.com slash the talk show. They'll know you came from the show. Sign up, and they will give you a free trial. Uh, I think it's for a month, and that's how confident they are that you're going to, when it time's up, that you're going to sign up. When you do sign up, use the promo code jg my initials john gruber's initials jg uh, and you'll save 10 percent off your purchase and uh, they'll know that you came from the show so just remember that when you sign up go to squarespace.com slash the talk show and
1: find out more the thing i dig about squarespace is their templates are great it's really easy to use even like when i go to a squarespace site i i can rarely tell that it's squarespace which is sort of the mark of yeah. Uh, templates done well is they don't all look the same. It doesn't have that sort of gross. Oh, well, this guy just uses the thing. It kind of feels like the almost almost the platonic ideal of what they wanted, what Apple wanted iWeb to be. Yeah. Like anybody can anybody can just make a website now. We've yeah. all been empowered. We can all start a blog. We can all start a podcast or whatever. Like we can just put your stuff here. You don't have to really think about it. But it's also cool that they sponsor everything. Like we, we, we kind true. of, we, we, we joke about this. It's become like kind of a cliche sponsored by Squarespace, but the truth is uh, we we can make fun of that, but how cool is it that we have a company like that that's doing really cool stuff and they're also kind of a, uh, a patron to the arts.
0: I've thought about that a lot because, you know, uh, they sponsor my website enough and I certainly sponsored this, the, the talk show enough that it's occurred to me, like, how is it possible that they can keep sponsoring and 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 you know a lot of the shows i listen to are sponsored by them i I, i've thought about it and it in some sense i think it it can be explained by the fact that they've they're a company that's embraced the modern media world meaning um you know like the post pc world of devices like the post internet world of media where you know in the old days your big budget for advertising would go to print and TV. Well, probably I should list TV first. TV and then print in the world, you know, in the old world. And TV commercials are super expensive. They're super expensive to produce. And they're super expensive to buy, at least if you're going to put it in front, you know, to get a large number of people to listen. Um, I think it makes total sense for them because I think that they're much more targeted. Like, adver- I, I've seen Squarespace ads on TV. They have TV ads. I mean, they're, they definitely have a huge ad budget. And I've seen them on the subway, too. Yeah. But... People who listen to podcasts of any kind, let alone technical podcasts, are so much more likely to be the sort of people who are going to build a website of any kind. Um, that it's a better way to target at you know, you know, far less money than you would pay to get an ad in you know the New Yorker or something like that. Yeah. So uh, Spectre. Spectre, the title of the uh, the twenty fourth Bond movie.
1: They had a they had a press conference today in London. This was all a huge surprise to me. I mean, maybe I'm just not paying enough attention, but I had no idea this was coming. This, this came out of nowhere. Yeah. See, me. I knew that
0: I, I've tried to stay as spoiler free as I could, but I knew that there was a new one coming out. I knew Sam Mendes had been re-signed to come back, even though he, it, I, he didn't swear. It wasn't like a never say never again thing where he said, I'm never going to do another one, but he was pretty adamant that he only wanted to direct one, you know, because he does so many other things, you know, and he, you know, not just other movies, but he, you know, does theater and stuff like that. And in yeah, fact, on Squarespace. Yeah, the, the production of the movie was actually set back because I think they would have, they would have been further ahead already if they hadn't been waiting for Mendez because he had a, um, <laughs> maybe that's why it'll only take a year. He had a play in London that he was directing and, you know, and directing a play is, you know, it's, I don't know. It's all, it, it's a weird thing Because you know It's like the opposite Of a movie Like as soon as You get a scene Right in a movie You move on Whereas in a play You're doing it Night after night After night Yeah um, But you know Skyfall was But such a Box office And a critical Success That it You know I, I, It was almost Inevitable That they would Get him to come back I think they You know More or less Had to make him An offer He couldn't refuse
1: And he brought back uh, Like the same Writing team And the same Like a lot of Same production team
0: Yeah, uh, that kind of worries me, though, because I Uh, actually think that, and I know, like I said at the header of the show, that I didn't do, and I'm not going to do a whole two-hour thing on Skyfall, but the more time goes on and the more Skyfall settles in, the the less I
1: like it. You start to see the seams.
0: I feel like it's a really, it's kind of a poorly written film that was made extraordinarily well, like... It's it's well cast. The cast is perfect. The look is very good. It has a good feel, and you know the just the it's just such a great cast. You know, Harvey, Javier Bardem is so good as a Bond villain. Uh, it's such you know Roger Deakins does such amazing cinematography. It's just a gorgeous, gorgeous film, and it it's so clearly made by people who love. At least, the, you know, the Bond movies have varied so much over the 50 years of the course, but they, it's so clearly made by people who love the things about Bond that I love about Bond.
1: It felt like a love letter to
0: Bond. Yeah, yeah, and a, a, a well-done one. Um, I'd agree with, yeah. You know, it makes... Here's a, here's an example of that. It makes no logical sense, um, but I like it. It is is one of the things that I thought was perfect in a movie is the way that when Bond wants to dits the car that that mi6 could track he gets the old db5 and it <laughs> because, makes no because that, nobody would notice that Perfectly well it, inconspicuous. M, m even makes m even makes that joke that yeah this is certainly inconspicuous and it also makes no sense in the sense that it's a reboot of bond you know the whole starting with casino royale it's a reboot right. and whatever so where did that car
1: even come from
0: Whatever the vague rules of continuity were before, and and in the, you know up until then it was sort of a, a hand wavy sort of continuity between Bond movies, you know, where it was sort of insinuated that it was one guy who had done all these things, even if it was played by different actors. Well,
1: you say that, but Lazenby, it counts, you know. Well, no, no, no. I mean the that opening scene in uh, uh, Her Majesty's, uh, yeah, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, he gets in that fight on the beach and then he turns and he looks at the camera that never would have happened to the other fellow.
0: Oh yeah. That never happened to the, to the other. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's just part. And, and, Again, we get into a two-hour on Her Majesty's Secret cl- Service. Her <laughs> Majesty's Secret Service is clearly the most divisive of all the Bond movies, in my opinion. Because it's either somebody's... For good reason. People either hate it or love it. I, and I, I have good friends whose who's, who's taste in movies I generally agree with in large measures who swear up and down that it's the best Bond movie. Uh, what? Yeah. Ooh. Oh. Uh, name
1: names. Uh, Nat Irons. Nat. Yeah. Really? Nat I- Ah, that's... He's such a smart
0: guy. Just Google it. You can find lots of people who will make the argument. Uh, uh, Film Crit Hulk loved it. (laughs) Yeah, read Film Crit Hulk. Did you read Film Crit Hulk's uh, Bond treatise? No. He reviewed, he wrote like a massive thing, almost like a a booklet, almost like a booklet-length thing where he reviewed every single Bond movie. This this is fascinating. Uh, And I, I don't know if he said it was his very favorite, but he at least said it was, if not, it was very close.
1: Uh, I think the, the gut punch at the very end was good. I think that makes the movie worth it. I don't know if I'd say it's good. It's certainly not the best.
0: No, but it's but it's so stupid that it makes no sense that Blofeld was left alive. There was a Bob, bobsled chase with gunfire and uh, and Blofeld's uh, uh, bobsled like, overturns or whatever and Bond's at the bottom and what? He doesn't go up there and double check that he just assumes that he's dead? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I felt There's like he deserved it, fella. I feel like he deserved to have his wife killed by <laughs> like there was no that's harsh there was no cockamamie you know way that he disappeared off a cliff and maybe he had a you know a, a parachute or something or some secret escape or something
1: like that he just it's bon- like just, a rookie move yeah he just
0: didn't go and check
1: yeah like he's never seen a good like a, he's never seen a movie I guess yeah so what do you think of the title I think, in the same way that I want to believe that J.J. Abrams picked every shot in the Star Wars teaser for a reason, I have to believe, or I want to believe, that that title is very, very intentional. Yeah, that title is them not just saying, "Hey, we got the rights to use this name. We're going to bring stuff back, whatever." But like, they're trying to say, in the same way that that uh, at the end of Skyfall, you hear "Money, Penny." Yeah. You hear that name, and that means something, and you see uh, Ray Fines coming in as M, and you see on the back of the office door that that leather door, right? F- just like from the old movies, it, it kind of. Right now, we're in this place where the Bond movies, the continuity of the Bond movies, is the loop. Right.
0: It looks yeah. like yeah. I, I even he even uh, he t- like I I wrote on during Fireball Day. He's just he, Ray Fiennes. M is a very Bernard Lee like M
1: you know mm-hmm.
0: now there's obviously a different dynamic because ray Find is clearly not that much older than um uh daniel craig and he's new as m whereas in the in the old bond movies it always and and, and in the novels both in the uh, movies and the novels uh it it there's an idea that m m, m has been there forever you know that he's been there for a lot he's been in charge of mi6 for a long time
1: right it's a, it's a kind of a paternal relationship yeah
0: the, yes exactly it, it's in fact it's uh, in the novels at least i think it even is it even says so explicitly that it's like a paternal
1: relationship and you can kind of see it in the movies yeah um, with the, like the thing with the gun the, the 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 oh god what was the what was the gun that he originally had
0: uh yeah, the one that and the, the the original quartermaster
1: comes in and says it's it would be good for a lady. Yeah, there's the argument about the. And I he had a Beretta. Yeah, going hate me for not knowing this, but uh, yeah, the 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 question of he was supposed to be using the other gun, and he was like he was very steadfast that like no, this is. Uh, I think he he, you should he be doing.
0: carried a Beretta, and the quartermaster and M insisted that he switched to the uh,
1: Walter PPK. Was it? Was it? Yeah, it was a Beretta. It was a Beretta. Yeah. Uh, and, but the argument about that, it never felt to me like this was bond sticking to what he knew and what he liked so much as it was, it was kind of him sticking it to M, uh, but he was being, it felt like a little bit of youthful teenage rebellion. Yeah. A little bit, as much a as little bit of column
0: A, a little bit of column B there. Um, boot major booth, right? Boot, right. Uh, the backstory on that is that there was a guy who was like a weapons expert who, uh, who wrote to Ian Fleming after one oh, of the novels. Yeah. And he said, look, I, I love these novels. I'm a big fan, but, uh, I've got to tell you, your choice of weapon for this guy is, is, uh, is pretty poor. This is a, this, this gun has terrible stopping power. It's, you know, there's, there's really nothing to recommend it over, you know, for this and for the serious business that he gets into, he ought to carry, <laughs> you know, like, uh, something, something else. Um, and so Ian Fleming wrote him back with like a "thank you, thank you." This was wonder, you know, wonderful feedback. And then named a character after the guy as like a honor for him.
1: Did you watch the? Uh, I think it was the BBC uh, Fleming, the man who would be Bond. Do you know?
0: I I have it in my notes here to talk to you about that. I I this was might have been a year ago where me and you and Brent were somehow like uh, in a back channel, you know, with QBranch, Branch, our, our software, you know, Q Branch, our software thing,
1: uh, you guys had watched it and
0: recommended it. And it well,
1: was, well, Brent was he'd watched the first episode and recommended that we watch it, but said it was terrible. Hmm. And I, so I watched it and I I strongly disagreed with his assessment. I
0: put it on my I put it on my list of things to watch. And then uh, it was like I hit one of those like June 30th. It was there on July 1st. It wasn't. It was gone from Netflix and i thought ah. and and i remember especially I, I don't think it was on itunes either or it, yeah, it should be on iTunes. well That's maybe it was. i don't know but at the time a Spend year the ago 15 dollars but it was like well it, anyway it's right now as we speak in in december 2014 it's back on netflix and oddly enough i actually uh started watching it like uh four nights ago oh how far in are you uh three out of four uh, what do you think uh I'm making that gesture with my hand that's like, you know, like so-so. <laughs> like I'm glad it exists and I am enjoying it, but it feels like a BBC TV show, not like a movie.
1: The that attitude of I like it, I'm enjoying it, I'm glad it exists, but it's not great is kind of I mean the the worst Bond movies are still enjoyable. And there's there's 24 of them. Yeah. So there's going to be good ones, there's going to be bad ones, but even the worst of the Bond movies, even if you really hate uh, Never Say Never Again, or you really hate Majesty's Secret Service, you still enjoy watching it. It's still a Bond movie. And what the show felt like to me was not so much like a biopic about Fleming as it was kind of, kind of a semi sort of maybe a little bit sanctioned prequel. Mm. Maybe I read it as this, and it's right there in the title: "The Man Who Would Be Bond." So th- it feels to me like this is the template for Bond. By the way, I think you just grubered uh, the word
0: B-I-O-P-I-C. have always said it biopic, like biography picture biopic. Biopic would be like if it was like a disease of the
1: eye or something. Oh, let's let's find this out. Biopic. I like, <laughs> I like that you call it a Grubering. Right. I'm gonna. All right. I'm gonna. Let's look this up. Now I want to know.
0: Well, uh, my problem with looking up emphasis, and maybe this is why I mispronounce so many words, is I don't know how to read the diacritical marks. Uh, and there's like three or four different systems of diacritical marks to show you how to like pronounce a word and where the emphasis goes. I don't. I, I don't understand
1: any of them. Once like all those <laughs> schwas and everything starts showing up, I, I, I don't know. Well, this is what the internet is for. Yeah, it'll. Uh, you can just listen to a little, a little audio clip. Here, here's one. Biopic. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a bio and a picture, so it's yeah. a biopic. Bi- I, biopic to me sounds like uh, somebody taking photographs in the bathroom. <laughs> I I
0: I just think it's industry lingo. You know,
1: yeah, no, yeah.
0: well, like we go. a chick flick.
1: I've learned something today. Biopic. Um, and see, if you had said biopic, I would have called you out on that. Yeah. That sounded even sure dumber.
0: I've had, I, I, and I, I, you know, <laughs> whenever I hear somebody pronounce a word differently than I have pronounced it my entire life, I generally assume, <laughs> I generally assume that I've just learned something. Uh, Cause it's usually a safe bet. Ba- like, you know, it's like with the Sith thing. Like, you get, you mispronounce enough words that you've read visually, but never pronounced enough. And you're almost always wrong. You start to th- assume
1: that if I pronounce it differently, I'm wrong. Uh, Wait, did you mispronounce Sith?
0: No, uh, but in the way that, like you pointed out, that maybe if you became no. a, <laughs> handing a, down information, if you killed, if you're a Sith apprentice and you just killed your master to become the master, maybe you don't take an apprentice if you realize that you're completing like a, <laughs> a thousand generation chain of that happening, you
1: know, over and over again every time. And if you're the new guy thirty years later, you've got no idea how to pronounce medicalorians. <laughs> um. Did you
0: see the thing where the the poster that they unveil... And there's a cool little movie they have too, where it just shows the 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 name Spectre being like animated in. Yeah, it almost, and the,
1: like the and the, the the bullet in the glass.
0: It almost reminds me of the. Uh, did you see? You saw it at, at Singleton too. But do you see Dave Addy's post? Yeah. on I, the opening credits of Alien. Yeah, it's sort of that same sort of effect where the word Spectre is revealed piece by
1: piece in the letters. It and it's just a. I, like the type nerd in me and the bond nerd in me for being, what was it was like t- maybe 20 seconds of video that shows you nothing. It felt really good watching it. Yeah. And the
0: way that the you you mentioned, did you just mention this, that the logo looks like the old yeah. Spectre logo, or the broken glass underneath. Yeah, the the, yeah.
1: There's the, the bullet, like a bolt through the glass, but the way the glass shatters, there's the, the, like the, the tentacles, like the Hydra style. Right. But the, the Spectre logo, well, the, the Hydra meaning that, um, the Hydra logo from the Marvel Universe and the Spectre logo right. share some visual similarities. Right. But
0: the idea behind the logo is that it's like a multi tentacled organization that, you know, you can't, you know, you kill one tentacle and still got other seven ones around the world or whatever. <laughs> you cut off one head and two more shall appear. Uh,
1: so I, the most interesting casting to me is Christoph Waltz. As oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's lots of. Good, all the news and casting is good news, but but Christoph Waltz, that's that's like now we got a fucking movie. Yeah.
0: It's funny. It's and it seems like they've really and and there's uh what's his name, the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. Is, uh
1: David Bautista.
0: Yeah, is Mr. Hinks, which is so obviously it's so old school Bond henchman. I mean, you know, look at the guy.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah. he's
0: gotta be like a criminal henchman, but the name Mr. Hinks sounds perfect. But it's totally taken it back like, you know,
1: to to Connery and Moore era Bond, you know. It's got a little bit of camp in it. Which yeah. is that's that's kind of what made Bond fun then. Will it work now? Yeah. I
0: don't know. So the, the the speculation has been, there have been rumors and again I've tried to avoid them, but you know, I think everybody now that they're calling the movie Spectre, it's not spoiling anything that there were rumors that Christoph Waltz uh, was going to play Blofeld for a while. You're saying you didn't see those rumors.
1: The the name that... What was the name they gave him for him? the uh, character In name? their
0: announcement, they're saying he's playing a character named Oberhauser.
1: Yeah, which if you Google that name... I Googled it because I wanted to find out what it meant in German because I thought maybe that was a hint at something because I kind of had... It just has the scent of this is a code name for a character. This isn't the character's real name. And if you Google that name, it's the name of this like Nazi general who was tried for war crimes after World War II. Like this very famous Nazi, and to me, that's that's so over the top that it can't possibly be a real character's name. That has to be masking something. Yeah, I think
0: he's Blofeld. I, if you're gonna bring think, back, if you're gonna bring back uh, Spectre, you might as well bring back Blofeld.
1: I mean, it, you could make the argument that you bring back Spectre and then Blofeld is revealed in the next movie, in the same way that you got hints of Spectre, or maybe even. Um, glimpses of Blofeld in even like as far back as Doctor No. You don't really get to see Blofeld until two or three movies in. Four movies. Four, yeah, four movies in.
0: Or five. So it, five.
1: It wait, was which... so first movie was Doctor No,
0: and Blofeld was a guy in a. You saw him from behind a chair, and he had the cat, but you never saw his face. And then in Russia with Love, you saw him in that secret meeting room where he was behind Venetian uh, blinds. So you still couldn't see his face, and he'd like you, that was where he unveiled. That was where they unveiled the uh, the gag that Doctor Evil used, where he had like a, a a boardroom table, and he could hit a right, button right. To, to kill a guy. And then, then he wasn't in Goldfinger. He wasn't in Goldfinger. Goldfinger and Goldfinger had nothing to do with uh, Specter. And then in um, the next movie was uh, Thunderball, which was a Specter plot to steal a um a nuclear missile um but blowfeld i don't even know if he was even pictured in it it was uh largo the the guy with the eye patch was the the head operative of the mission
1: oh i think maybe we saw him uh
0: I don't think we even see him in Thunderball. I don't even think he makes a, a Blofeldian like you don't get to see his face but he's there. I think that Largo is the only guy. And then the next movie is You Only Live Twice, and that's where we finally see him, and he's played by uh, David Pleasance. The 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 and it's the one that everybody remembers. It's the guy the bald guy with the scarred face. Right, and the in the crazy suit.
1: Right. The like the you know, the doctor evil look. The doctor evil look. Uh, I want to say we we saw him in we saw a glimpse of him in two movies prior, mostly because the the three times that we see him, the first two hints and then the time when we actually see him, there's like three different looks, there's clearly three different actors. It's always different actors, yeah. And in
0: fact, it was part of the way that they uh, they just had this loosey goosey continuity that would never fly anymore. And um, the guy who played him in Doctor No uh, even though he was just seen in a chair from behind stroking his pussy, um, uh, was the actor who played, I think his name was, uh, uh, Strangwise, or maybe it was the guy who played the guy who played him in, in from Russia with love was, uh, uh, the guy who played Strangwise, the Strangways, the guy who Strangways? yeah, the guy who in, in Jamaica, in, uh, Doctor No was uh, the the like mineralogist who was crooked and tried to sneak in, and uh, Bond killed him while he was playing. Remember, Bond was playing solitaire to wait for him to come back, and he shot. Right, him? right, right. That's, that guy played uh, played Blofeld in the next movie, and then the craziest one is um in you only live twice. The one where he goes to Japan. And before before it gets all crazy racist and he dons the, the yellow face makeup. <laughs> he meets the MI6 operative in Tokyo. And the guy is uh, wearing a kimono and it's like he's been stationed there. He's a British guy who's been stationed there for 30 years. And uh, it's a nice little touch. He makes he he uh, he makes him a martini and he says, stirred not shaken, right? Which is of course wrong. Mm. But Bond, being a polite British person, says, perfect, thank you. You know, just accepts it and doesn't bother correcting him. And then he gets stabbed by like a ninja assassin and Bond has to go chasing him. That actor, the guy who played a British intelligence agent in You Only Live Twice, two movies later, is the guy who played Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever. Really? Yeah, and he doesn't even look different. It wasn't even like they gave him different makeup or a different hairstyle.
1: Oh, that's right, that's right. And so a lot of this blurs together for me because I watch right. all of the Bond movies over the course of a month. It's so, it's so 20, crazy. 23 like, movies. You, and,
0: you would never ever have like a like a recasting. It's almost like you know, like they were they were casting out of like. Uh, you know like Saturday night live like where you have like a uh, an ensemble cast and you just have to keep reusing actors over well, and over. Well you
1: say again. that but uh, look at doctor who. Peter Capaldi the new doctor he was in an episode as you know just some side character like yeah. 5 years ago. The the previous companion uh, was was in that same episode in fact hmm. as a totally different character. Um maybe there's just not that many actors in the UK.
0: Yeah, I don't know. There's or ran out of people. The- at least it was like an old boys club back then. I don't know people. And I think cause nobody got to rewatch movies on home video that everybody just assumed that they would slide. <laughs> I do. I, it was like we're a think ahead. It was like nobody's ever going to watch this again. Right. I don't know, but it's crazy that just two movies apart, the same guy played uh, a British agent and Blofeld. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think, I'm, I think, I'm guessing. I can see his face too. I'm guessing that Christoph Waltz is, Blofeld because if you're going to bring back Specter, you got to bring back Blofeld and if you're going to have Blofeld who I mean he's as good an actor as anybody I mean he's a. Great... that's just
1: it that's just it like in these procedural TV shows uh, they try to do the thing where they they, they want to keep you guessing as to who the who the guy was who committed the murder but it's like you can just say look this is the character actor that I've seen in other TV shows clearly that's the murderer right you look at this a big budget big production like this you don't bring in Christoph Waltz to just play some dude. Like if that's
0: it, I look at it this way. If Blofeld is in the movie, it's gotta be Christoph Waltz. And if Blofeld's not in the movie, then when, because how many more does Daniel Craig have in him? Right. If you're going to bring back specter for, at for the end of, of, uh, Daniel Craig's run in the role, you got to have Blofeld in there as soon as possible. I figure you bring them, you got to bring him in and, you know, uh, finally have you know like in the old bond movies finally have a movie where bond doesn't get the guy at the end you know blowfeld i'm i'm expecting blowfeld whatever his crazy scheme is in this movie will escape at the end and will he'll be back in the next
1: movie you know whatever hard lessons bond has learned in casino royale quantum of solace and skyfall he hasn't had a huge failure yet other than the just the failure of vesperland right <laughs> that's pretty bad well yeah, but it wasn't, it wasn't a failure. That was a personal failure. Yeah. That wasn't a failure on the level of the guy who was trying to destroy the world kind of got away with blowing up a chunk of it. Um, speaking of, of Spectre and evil worldwide multi-tentacled
0: organizations, I want to tell you about our good <laughs> friends at Backblaze. <laughs> uh, Backblaze is unlimited, unthrottled, online backup for your Mac they have over 100 petabytes of data backed up for all their customers. Uh, Sounds dirty. It really does. I forget. They, they even told us how big a petabyte is, and I forget how big it is.
1: And they sent us an email, and uh, it was just. It was. It's so much more data than you have. It, it's crazy, and it's. They've done great
0: stuff. You know, if you Google it, and they talk about like how to set up a data center that's reliable and cheap, and how much you know cost to get drives and stuff like that. Uh, it's crazy how, how how much data they have backed up but how they figured out a way to do it cheap because there's a factor with Backblaze. and i've been talking about it for a while but there's a factor where there's almost a too good to be true feel to it because it's just 5 bucks a month per computer for unlimited unthrottled backup and it's again it's one of these things it's such a great product but it i remember i heard about it for a long time before i signed up i cuz i remember there's other shows that they sponsored Um, and one of the reasons I didn't sign up is it had like this too good to be true feel to it. Um, because you think things like, well, it probably only backs up your startup drive. No, it backs up. Like if you have like an external hard drive that is three terabytes or four terabytes or bigger, where you keep all of your, you know, digital media and stuff like that, uh, they back that up too. Right. It might take a while depending on your upstream, but once it's backed up, it's up there, um, and you, you know, then after that, everything is, you know, incremental when you add new files and stuff like that. Um, but it's not just your startup drive; it's, you know, it's everything. And it's five bucks per Mac per month for unlimited, unthrottled backup, and it just works and it just runs. You install their software and forget about it.
1: You see, like, uh, like, fa- well, you don't use Facebook, but sometimes you see posts from people, or emails from people, or YouTube comments from people. Where every other word is misspelled and there's no punctuation or capitalization, and you wonder in 2014, when every device you could possibly touch that, that has a battery has spell check, how it's possible that these people like there's no excuse for misspelling words unless autocorrect gets you. In the same way you've, you've got no excuse if your hard drive crashes and you don't have a backup at five dollars a month, there's just it's, it's unfathomable to me that you wouldn't have had something in place. It's,
0: I, here's what I'm going to do this holiday season is I, because I have a bunch of family members with Max who don't have Backblaze yet, and I'm not going to give it as a gift because, you know, here's, here's backup. Here's your present. will get them a real gift.
1: But, Stalking stuffer.
0: But when I'm at their house, I am going to, in addition to a gift, I'm going to give them Backblaze and I'm going to set it up for them and just hook it up because I feel better. I'm like, my parents don't have backblaze on their Mac yet, but I'm going to make make sure that it's like my commitment this year. When we go home for the holidays, I'm going to do it because I would feel so much better if all the pictures my mom has on her Mac are backed up somewhere outside of her house and just do that for everybody in your family. When you go home for the holidays uh, and it'll be, you're going to feel so much better about it. I think it's, you know, it's like a, in addition to a gift, give them back, boys, because it, it, eventually it's going to happen. I had somebody in my, in Amy's family, just had a Mac have a hard drive go bad, like so bad that, like, when you reboot and go into disk, uh, uh disk utility, it's like, uh, I got nothing, you know, and then they took it to the Apple store and they were like, yeah, we got nothing. So, like, everything, you know, they'd lost photos, they had a whole bunch of photos, you know, that, uh, just gone. Uh, I feel, te- and I had the same thought you did. I felt terrible about it because I felt like you, there's so many things you could do. Like, you could, if they had Backblaze, and I feel bad. I felt a little guilty that I hadn't yet told them that they should have Backblaze because it would have saved them uh, five bucks a month per computer, unlimited, unthrottled backup. And here's the, the here's the thing: you get a risk free, no credit card required trial to start out. Just go to Backblaze.com/slash/DaringFireball. And uh, you can get them to try out. You could just do that for your relatives. just give them the free trial over Christmas and show them how easy it is and you know let
1: them foot the bill. So great. Uh, and tell them to let backblaze know that uh, you heard it on the talk show. Yeah, use that use URL backblaze.com/ daring fireball. You can't go wrong. Well, like, I there's so. just there's no excuse. there's no excuse for for not having this. How many do you even have a camera that takes pictures on film? No, not
0: well. I do, I but I haven't. I, I don't even know if it works anymore.
1: Yeah, I, I but I take I don't know probably hundreds of pictures a month, and they're all digital and they're all on my hard drive or somewhere. Yeah, if if anything happens and I didn't have a backup, then that's like every record of my life. I I lose my hard drive. I just don't exist anymore. I'm like uh, Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future in that photo. Like my hand starts disappearing. <laughs>
0: It's, it, it can definitely happen, especially, I mean, SSDs can go bad too. But if you have anybody who has anything stored on a spinning hard disk, man, you got to have it backed up somewhere else.
1: Or your laptop gets stolen. Or right. I mean, there's a million things that can happen. It's just, right. there's at five bucks a month, imagine you could get health insurance for $5 a month. Of course you'd do it. Of yeah. course you're free, uh, like unlimited, unthrottled online backup for $5 a month.
0: Yeah. Well, imagine if health insurance meant that if you got hit by a bus, you could like reboot to where you were yesterday. <laughs> right? I would definitely pay $5 a month for that. Right. That's what Backblaze is for your data. <laughs> Five bucks a month. If only there was Backblaze for us, <laughs> that'd be great. That should be their 2.0 product.
1: Their engineers are working on
0: it. Yeah. Um, so, what else with Spectre? Here's the thing I was thinking about with Spectre and, and, and one, it's, uh, that this was just resolved legally last year, this whole backstory. And those of you who have been listening listen to that whole Bond 5 by 5 the talk show thing from years ago, know that we covered this. But the basic story is there's a guy named Kevin McClory, who uh, Ian Fleming had collaborated with before the Bond thing even really got big, I don't think. Yeah, but- they were they were doing Wasn't it supposed to be like a TV movie? Yeah. And they came up with collaboratively. I think there was even a third collaborator, though, who who never, you know, who somehow got bought out of his rights early on in the process. Somebody got screwed. But forget about the third guy. The gist of it is Ian Fleming and Kevin McClory came up with the premise that was basically Thunderball. What if a a criminal organization uh, could somehow uh, uh, compromise a pilot who would be flying a test flight with a nuclear-armed fighter plane and get the compromised pilot to uh, drop the bomb, not, you know, ignite it, but just drop it in the ocean somewhere where they could, you know, then pick it up from the bottom of the ocean and then hold the world, uh, you know, the Western world hostage, Uh, which is really pretty clever. Like, you know, one of the things about that Thunderball plot is in the grand scheme of uh, the whole world is at risk, James Bond plots, it's actually seems pretty plausible, right? That there Even are by today's standards, right? That, you know, that there are pilots who are flying planes that have nuclear armed weapons. And then at that point, you've got one guy who, you know, if you could compromise that one guy, maybe, you know, you get him to do something with it. Um, nothing came of it, I guess, whatever the original what TV movie that was supposed to be. Somehow it fell through. But Ian Fleming thought, well, that was a hell of a good story, and he went ahead and just used it for the novel Thunderball. Well, wouldn't uh, you? I mean, I can hardly. I mean, I I can see the the contention there, but yeah, I guess I, I you know I don't know, I, I, you know, who came up with how much of it? Who who knows? You know, what I mean, like only really maybe maybe only Ian Fleming and 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 McClory really know how much of it Ian Fleming truly had a right to to reuse. How much of it he came up with. Um, but regardless, they you know that the, the McClory sued, and there was even some. I, I remember reading about it that the Eon Productions, you know, the the people who make the movies, even they were aware of it, and they even you know were wary of making, thun, you know, doing a movie of Thunderball until it was resolved. But they had lawyer, you know, enough lawyers who said, Nah, nah this is all going to go away. This McClory is a croc, you know, a crackpot. <laughs> um, but it ended up that he got the rights. It, it by the time it was ended. It, it ended with um, it was like a you know like the 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 fable of Solomon where you know two women come in saying this is our baby right and he's like cut it in half. yeah cut it in half and the woman who said no no just you know he's like oh you must be the real mother because you know you're more concerned about the baby than you are about this uh, they, it was like a solomonic decision with this where they both had the rights to Thunderbolt. Ian Fleming, and thus Eon Productions, who had the rights to Ian Fleming's James Bond, and Kevin McClory. So Kevin McClory had the legal rights to make a movie based on the novel Thunderball. And that's, you know, and he spent like decades trying to get it made. And that's what eventually became Never Say Never Again. That's why Never Say Never Again's plot is so similar to Thunderball.
1: It's a weird, it's a weird moral
0: fable. because who wants half a baby? It is weird, yeah. It's weird. It's weird that you know, uh, you know. It's like all those fables, you know. <laughs> they're painted. The, the 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 lying woman was was like you know painted in broad strokes. She was like the the empire, you know. She she's okay with having a baby. Like right. that's fine. Right. I'll take my fifty percent. Yeah, and the same. Like if she had a fleet of TIE fighters, she wouldn't put shields on. It
1: <laughs> Save a couple bucks, <laughs> whatever it takes. Just get it done. It's weird that Kevin McClory got even the ability to use the name James Bond, right? Like whatever you'd say about his claim to the story, okay, great, you can you can use the same story, just use a different name for the character. Yeah,
0: I've linked to this before. I'll put it in the show notes again. Um, I hope it's still there on YouTube. Did you ever see the recut opening of Never Say Never Again? With, yeah, um, I
1: think I think when you link to it, maybe maybe it was on on. This show, or maybe it was on Daring Fireball, yeah. but you had talked about how great it would be if they, they redid the whole movie like that. Right.
0: It's the gist of it is, is the real never say never again has this terrible cheesy eighties soundtrack and theme. Uh, and even the logo thing is really cheesy, uh, and it's part of what makes it feel off right from the start and some genius on on, uh, put up on youtube pretty much like the whole like opening five minute thing of never say never again but with the real james bond theme music and uh uh you know logo and you know the stuff like that and it it improves it so immensely and it feels real. It feels like this is a real James Bond movie. And it's exactly like what I said earlier about John Williams and star Wars. It makes yeah, you, you realize, need it. right. It makes you realize how much that music and, and graphical theming is part of what makes it feel like uh, a Bond movie.
1: Well, we saw, we saw that pretty clearly at the end of casino Royale. When you first hear the, the oh, I forgot the guy's name. When you first hear the bond theme. Yeah, I know what you mean.
0: Yeah. And you, and they held the, uh, The silhouette, you know, pull the gun out and shoot a bullet into the screen, and and the blood comes down. They held it until the end of that movie,
1: right? Right, because this was that. The whole point of that movie was this is how he becomes Bond, right? It was like this. It was almost like the whole movie was sort of a uh, a a
0: feature length. um, What's it called? Like a prelude. Uh, What do you call like chapter zero of a book? Like prologue. Yeah, prologue. Like, it was, like, a two-hour prologue.
1: Yeah. Well, I kind of read it as sort of similar to, like, Batman Begins. And that was at the, the time in movies when Batman Begins and, and, like, rebooting a thing was the thing yeah. to do. Like, give us some more origin stories, please. Yeah.
0: It was, a, yeah, Casino Royale is, like, the greatest origin story ever, I think.
1: I, would I think I'd agree with that. I think I'd agree with that. And so much of it for me, and it, there's, I'm, I don't think I'm giving away any secrets by saying that Vesper Lynn, my favorite Bond girl. And I think that such, such a defining moment in bond's life. If you want to imagine that it's, it's one guy and this is all his story that the, the story of Lynd is the story of bond without her. There's no James Bond.
0: Yeah. And they, you know, it, it wasn't like he started as a, uh, 85 pound, uh, you know, sickly weakling who needed a super serum to become James Bond.
1: He was already. (laughs) He wasn't bitten by a radioactive secret agent.
0: Right. He was obviously already well-trained in the military and had the mindset and was on the type of person who would be on a career path to become a double O in MI6. It's, you know, what is it like? What would that, what would that character be like when he's like one cut below becoming a double O? You know, and what would he be like when he first gets granted double O status and isn't really comfortable at that level? It doesn't really get it yet. Isn't really
1: isn't quite prepared for it. You know, and but that's still maybe that a little a little insufferably arrogant. Yeah. Um, like he knows he's on the cusp, but he's not he's not seasoned enough to be comfortable in it yet. Yeah. And we've uh, th- that scene on the train with him and Vesper going back and forth trading shots, and he he loses that argument. Yeah, if anybody, who that anybody who doesn't anybody who doesn't hold that that's one of the best scenes in an action movie
0: in recent memory. You know, I would say ever, but in you know in the modern era of of movies, it's it, I mean, we're just not going to be able to have a uh, we're not going <laughs> to agree on anything when it comes to cinema. It's not even action. But that's one of my favorite scenes in a movie. Yeah, it's just so good. It's and it's you know. It's in a series where the the level of actual um, personal interplay between Bond and the women in the movie, it's just notoriously thin, you know, and it's more or less just blah, blah, blah. Let's go to bed.
1: (laughs) Right. And Yeah. And this plays so well against that, but it even stands on its own. It works in both directions, which I think is what makes it so great. Right.
0: You can see why both of them like each other and you can see why both of them dislike each other. And you can yeah. see why both of them like the other
1: because of the reasons that they dislike the other yeah when she asks how's the lamb and he says skewer yeah sympathizes he says it with a smile like he's yeah. kind of into this he's into yeah. this lady yeah yeah
0: it's definitely one of the best scenes I it's, it, it makes it's a, otherwise it's a great movie anyway but it's it's really the scene that like puts it over the top uh what do you think I was thinking about this with Specter and the movie Specter uh and the organization is that there's there they they could be repeating a pattern. So in the in the Sean Connery films, there's Dr. No and that's a Spectre movie. Dr. No is is, you know, one of the agents of Spectre. And From Russia with Love is a Spectre movie. Then the third one, Goldfinger, was just about it was off Spectre and it was just this crackpot guy, Goldfinger and his plan. And then in the fourth and fifth ones, they went back to to Spectre with Dr. No and and you only live twice. So you're um,
1: saying that with Casino Royale, and you had this. You, Solace, there was
0: this shadowy organization that
1: I believe. You know, you and I chatted
0: about this today in prep for the show, but I believe in Casino Royale there was never given a name to it. But there was the guy, Mr. White, which is the guy who he uh, the great scene at the end of the movie when this guy, Mr. White, who had been like behind all this scheming and the, the funding of Le Chiffre. Um, and who saved James Bond's life by coming in and killing Le Chiffre and letting Bond go when he was being tortured.
1: Um bon- Chiffre? Yeah.
0: How would you pronounce it? I think it's La Chiffre. Yeah, Chiffre? Yeah. I mean, I'm
1: sure the internet's going to correct me. Yeah, this, Le, but
0: Chief, Le Chiffre, whatever. La Chiffre. I guess that's what they say in a movie, actually. Um, it's foreign. Yeah. Uh, this mr white guy is you know obviously if not the highest up it's he's a higher up in some shadowy criminal organization and then he's you know one of the neat things about quantum of solace which it opposite of skyfall i continue to like more and more as i as the years go on and i rewatch it um like if I redid, I bet of all the 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 commentaries I did with Dan on the original series, the one I would probably change the most if I redid it now is Quantum of Solace, which I re- at the time did not like because of a bunch of plot holes and some weak writing. The more I watch it, I like it more. Um, and I I even like I like the idea that it starts like an hour after Casino Royale. Yeah, it's like the next day. Yeah, he's <laughs> got. Like- it, He's got Mr. White in the trunk of his car. But you don't even know that until he opens the trunk
1: of his car. When you see it in theaters, it it had been like two or three years since Casino Royale. So you've probably forgotten about that. And I think that assuming that this was a whole new story starting over was what ruined the movie for the people who didn't like it. Right. But if you watch them, if you. uh, Yeah, that's a good point. I
0: think that's why I like it more and more. I do think so. That it's the fact that it continues from it
1: yeah Definitely. take a day take an afternoon and watch them back to back quantum of solace is a much better movie than than you probably right. so thought i
0: didn't know this i was under the impression that the criminal organization and you know and that they had like the the the, the right hand man to m was in fact a double agent working for them you know and he he betrays them and you know almost kills m and bond and he's the guy who rescues mr white from captivity uh that that organization in Quantum of Solace, it ends up that they call the organization Quantum at some point. And if you Google and you know look around and just Google for Quantum organization James Bond, you'll see that there's people who call that organization Quantum. And that's how I read it, I guess. But wouldn't it be cool though if it if if they somehow make it seem as though that organization is Spectre?
1: Well, it was pretty strongly a. Of- Hinted at least in that's how I read it. Right. Is and, that that was, or maybe that was like the code name. Well, or something. and yeah, an earlier it, yeah,
0: like a code name of it. And the explanation behind the scenes was that they, they hadn't settled this lawsuit with the clever, Kevin McClory mistake Estate, you know, getting back to McClory. The whole thing is a year ago in 2013, Eon Productions finally wrote a check of, you know, uh, you know, both sides agreed not to say what it was, but some amount of money they gave to Kevin McClory's estate. Cause I guess McClory died a few years ago. And now, Eon wholly owns the rights to Spectre and Thunderball again.
1: That seems like the thing that can only happen after McClory dies and after Albert Brockley dies. Right. Like once, once like the people who were actually having, were actually involved in that that angry battle. Right. Are out of the picture, it could like cooler heads prevail,
0: right? Because that was one of the side effects, even though McClory only had the rights to redo as in terms of Ian Fleming's material to do Thunderball. Somehow, part of the side effects of this judgment was that Eon it, couldn't use Spectre anymore. And they did make a few more movies, you know, after Thunderball, but at some point after Diamonds Are Forever, uh, the the lawsuit got to such a place where they felt like they couldn't or shouldn't or were explicitly told they can't make... If they used Spectre, then McClory would get the rights to that movie, too. You know, that if they put him in, you know, The Spy Who Loved Me, that then, then you know... Somehow Spectre was somehow part of what you got with Thunderball. And so last year, they finally just made it all go away, and now they own the rights to it. So now they can call it Spectre. So I feel like they should clearly they should do that right they should make you know bl- somehow blur the lines of the, what was called quantum and just say that that's you know specter
1: yeah it could be that it was uh, quantum was an offshoot it could be that that was the precursor organization it wouldn't been, I mean don't even really need to give us a whole bunch of backstory you just tie it together quickly give us one line of dialogue yeah like the call it call it a. give us an illusion to project quantum and that's good enough yeah um, I hope they don't, I hope they don't reuse the acronym, the
0: special projects and oh, yeah. something, something, cause it doesn't cause even it... really add up to Spectre. You have to like cross out a, cus- <laughs> a couple of letters and to get the S and the P, you have to count both the S and P and special
1: or, you know, it, it, we know what you're doing. You're just trying to get to the word Spectre. Just, if you want to call it Spectre, just call it Spectre. It's yeah. a cool name. Yeah, it's, we, it's a... we all agree. It's a cool name. Yeah. It, there's no reason to backronym it. And and
0: the one that Fleming came up with was pretty bad.
1: It's kind of like Shield. Like Shield has a crazy.
0: Yeah, and they they totally embraced that with the, the in one of the I don't know if it was an Iron Man movie or yeah, I it was, it was an it, Iron Man where where they didn't have the acronym yet, but
1: Agent Coulson you know said I'm from the whatever Homeland blah 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 and Strategic Homeland Intelligence right something in Logistics Division. I can't believe I remembered that much of it. Right. But yeah, and he, like, somebody says that's a mouthful, and he says, yeah, we're working on it. Yeah. Um,
0: That's actually, but if you think about it, it's actually, I remember thinking about it when it came out. It's actually pretty good. Like, there aren't any, like, real clunker words in there, like there are in the Spectre acronym. I wonder how many people they had working on that. I don't know. Or if they came up with one guy who was really good at, uh,
1: at background naming. That's just such a fun word.
0: Where is the, uh, here. it's the special executive for
1: counterintelligence, terrorism, revenge and extortion. So you have to use the S and the P from special, right? And well, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to make a special case for any word, it should be
0: the word special. And the way Fleming spelled it, if counterintelligence was hyphenated. So you have
1: to ignore the I. <laughs> <laughs> Some words you get two letters. Right. Sometimes you get two words and only have one letter, right. and I think uh, revenge
0: really sticks out as sort of uh, you know that if you weren't backgrounding it, why would you put revenge in as the organization's <laughs> you know counterintelligence? Okay, terrorism definitely, <laughs> Ex- extortion definitely, right? Like as opposed to you know like a religious terrorist group that is just after it for the the you know for the 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 virgins in heaven or whatever. You know, Spectre's in it for the money. So yeah, right. extortion definitely part of it. But revenge,
1: you know, like <laughs> it's like, look, guys, we can do all these things, but only to people who have wronged us.
0: Yeah, because it also implies that you're going to have a, they're going to build up a list of enemies along the way that they have to get revenge against. As opposed to, wouldn't your wouldn't your ideal be that you leave no enemies behind? That there is nobody that you need to seek revenge against because you're never going to get wronged.
1: Oh, I thought it was that uh, they were. it was all in the name of revenge uh, against people for things that had already happened. Oh, maybe. Which (laughs) leaves you no room for advancement or growth. (laughs) Right. Former schoolmates of Blofeld. (laughs) There's the guy that gave him a swirly in second grade. Right. The girl who wouldn't go to the prom with him. (laughs) It's a pretty pretty short list. We're not going to be that busy. I'll be honest with you guys. (laughs) <laughs> we might have to add some letters at the end for like I don't know uh playing online poker. We can <laughs> we can maybe do some stuff together on the weekends. How do you guys feel about larping?
0: Uh, let's if we take one last break and thank our <laughs> our final sponsor for this episode. Uh another longtime good friend of the show uh linda.com. Uh that's l y n d a.com. Uh, Lynda.com is an easy and affordable way to help you learn at your own pace with your own devices. You instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on software, web development, graphic design, photography, uh, app programming, anything you can think of that you might be able to learn through an online video course, Lynda.com has it. Uh, They stand out from the crowd. They have new stuff added daily. New courses are constantly coming in. Uh, They work with industry experts and software companies to provide timely training, uh, often on the same day that new versions are, are released and hit the market. So like a new version of Lightroom comes out. And there's a new version of the Lightroom course from lynda.com same day or very, very close thereafter because the person who teaches the course at lynda.com at Lightroom is like a beta tester and works with Adobe. Um, High quality, easy to follow video. This is absolutely nothing at all like the type of stuff you see on YouTube. It's not, uh, you know, somebody shooting a video out of the camera on their MacBook. It's all super, super professional, high quality production values. Um, learning at its finest, they have great tools. Uh, the tools include searchable transcripts, playlists, and certificates of course completion, which you can publish to your LinkedIn profile. I remember the first time I heard that and I rolled my eyes, but, uh, that's because I don't have a real job in a real world. LinkedIn is, (laughs) it's true. It's in a real world. If you have a job, LinkedIn is super, super, you know, important. Uh, And it's a cool way that your LinkedIn profile can be automatically – it's the way that LinkedIn is so much better than like the – you know last time I had to get a real job, it was like real resumes where you'd like open up a document and keep your resume up to date. Well, with something like LinkedIn where there's an API, your profile stays up to date based on the stuff that you've learned from Linda. So as you learn more stuff, your LinkedIn profile shows it, which is kind of clever. They have mobile apps. For iPhone iPad and Android uh, so you can learn on the go uh, one low price of 25 bucks a month gives you unlimited access to over 100,000 video tutorials it's a great deal for all the content you just pay that 25 bucks a month and you just watch as much as you want uh, they have a premium plan uh, if you pay for annually you can download courses to your iPhone or iPad or Android and watch them offline great for taking them on airplanes premium plan members can also download project files and practice along with the instructor so you get access to more more content than just the video you get actual
1: projects and stuff like that that's huge huge deal like uh, when i was learning photoshop when i when i'd actually get my hands on psds that's when i learned that's like when i that was the best part of it
0: so here's a fun fact that they, they have. This is amazing. 30% of colleges and universities and most of the Ivy League schools offer lynda.com subscriptions to their students and faculty members. Um, it's serious, serious education. It's college quality education for, for this type of stuff. And it's the type of stuff that colleges aren't really meant for. They're not going to get a good course in college on how to use Photoshop. College is you know, meant for stuff that's timeless. And lynda.com is meant for stuff that changes year after year after year. Um, so what do you do? Well, here's the thing. I've worked out a deal with lynda.com just for listeners of this show. Special officer. Special office. Offer. Jeez, can't talk. Um, I just rubbered that one. Special offer. You get access to all courses free. Everything in the lynda.com library for seven days. Here's how you get it. Go to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash the talk show. Seven days. Check it out. Get as much of it as you can. Soak it in. Binge on all of this stuff. Everything you've wanted to learn. See how good it is. That's how confident lynda.com is that after you try it for seven days that you're going to sign up for a paid account. That they'll let you have all you want for seven days. lynda.com slash the talk show. My thanks to, to them. So Fleming, the the BBC series, we finished that. There, did you get the vest? You you couldn't have missed it. There's a vest. I think it's in episode one. There's a vesper joke. Uh, I'm I'm sure I did, but Fleming I... comes to a bar and it's I guess it's supposed to be like a seedy place. I don't know. It didn't really look like it. It seemed like poor art direction. But he goes up to the bartender and just says uh, three measures of Gordon's, one measure of ah, vodka, yes, half yes. a measure of Kina Lile and the bartender hands him a bottle of beer. <laughs> <laughs> and there's this sort of, uh, you know, we don't have shit like that here. Look on the bartender's face, and it's it. I like that because it's a joke that you have to be a, you know, you know, if you're not a Bond fan, it doesn't make it. That's that that whole interaction makes no sense. And if you are a Bond fan, it's it makes all the sense in the world.
1: Well, I think it still makes sense. It it means that here's a guy's coming in wanting a hoity-toity kind of drink, and he's it says something about that character and his uh, misunderstanding of where he was. Because he was kind of this entitled brat at that point in his and in, in the story, I was going to say in his life, which may have also been true. Yeah, it's funny watching it. At no point did it occur to me to to take this as a literal reading of anything that ever happened to Ian Fleming. Like I'm sure there's elements of truth to it, but it seems like this is somebody making a miniseries out of the stories that Ian Fleming told the people to make himself sound cool.
0: Hmm. I actually, since I started watching it, I. I haven't, I've resisted the urge to Google it because I want to watch the fourth episode before I do, but then I want to look and see how much of it is purportedly true. I think a significant amount of it is, is true. I think it's, you know, it,
1: when I went through it, it see, I, I, from what I read, it seemed like most of this was uh, like blurred lines, like so much of what he did while he was in, in the service was like redacted and he, you know, stuff that you're, they'll never come out and say whether that's true or not, whether he actually did those things, but what they could line up is like, well, there's elements of truth and these things probably happen. Maybe not the way he said, uh, but the, the consensus it seemed was that this is sort of, you know, as much bullshit as it was truth, Right. which to me is, I mean, that's, that's what storytelling is. And that's what he was, was a storyteller. Yeah. And it seems like it's set up where he's sort of, um, uh,
0: repeatedly, he you know he works as you know in in British intelligence during World War II. That's almost the bulk of the movie or the series, um, and just comes up with clever. His whole job is to come up with clever ideas to screw the Germans, uh, but he he keeps wanting to get sent out into the field and isn't isn't allowed to, um, and then you know it sets it up that his the whole. The whole reason he wrote the Bond series was to have a guy like
1: him, who does get to go out in the field. Yeah, a little bit of uh, exploring those fantasies, getting right. to live out those fantasies through your character. Yeah, I forget her name, but the there's like a
0: a, a, a Money Penny like woman mm-hmm. who works with his bought for his boss, who is almost too uncannily like the uh, the original Money Penny in the movies, which must have been. That, that had to be intentional. Oh, I think it's absolutely, and you know, I, I think it's over the top intentional. I wouldn't be surprised if, I, I don't know, I don't know, I haven't looked it up yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if that part of it, for example, is just purely fiction.
1: Yeah. But I don't It's know. so tough to tell because so much of that era of his life is just him telling those stories. Yeah. My bottom
0: line on Fleming is, uh, for anybody, if you love Bond and you like, the, you like Bond, you should watch it, especially while it's free on Netflix. And if you're not, if you're like kind of like, eh, on
1: Bond, it's I would say skip it. What was the other? Oh, um, Everything or Nothing, the documentary. Yeah, that was disappointing, too, I thought.
0: Really? Well, I liked it. But again, I wouldn't recommend it for anybody who wasn't a big fan.
1: I would say if you've seen every or nearly every Bond movie you'd probably like Fleming and you'd probably like everything or nothing.
0: Actually, I take it back now that I think about it more. I think everything, I think, I think I'm misremembering off the top of my bed. I actually, I think top of my head, I think I actually really liked uh, everything or nothing.
1: I enjoyed it. And uh, if for, if for nothing else to hear Lazenby get to talk about in hindsight, the way he acted and, and his role in the bond universe, yeah, that's worth the price of admission.
0: Yeah. I totally take it back now that I think about it. Cause that's the one I, I was misremembering. It's the one where, um, in addition to some great stuff with Lazenby, uh, I thought there was really, really great stuff with um, Pierce Brosnan.
1: Oh yeah, well, he was talking about he. He says uh, I forget the I forget exactly what he says, but he he pretty much comes right out and, and says on camera that after uh, after Goldeneye, he doesn't really remember the differences between the movies because they're all more or less the same. <laughs> he well, not that he doesn't remember the differences, but that he can't he doesn't remember which one was which. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that's what I mean. There's like, well, they all they all kind of blurred together. Like he remembers,
0: you know, who was in them and he remembers, you know, the, but he can't, you know, which ones the world is not enough, which one is, you know. Uh, I
1: don't because know. that that era, I have the same problem. I remember Goldeneye very, very clearly and everything yeah. after that for him. I don't remember which, I don't even remember, was there, was he in three of them or four of them? He was in five, I believe. No. Yeah. Let's go look it up. There was Goldeneye. Uh, World is not enough. Tomorrow never dies. I think that was it. I think it was three.
0: No, I, I'm gonna bet. Uh, there's five.
1: I'll uh, go as high
0: as four. You might be right. So there was Goldeneye in '95. Yeah. Tomorrow never dies in '97. Uh, that's the one with uh, uh, the the news, right? Yeah. The, the 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 Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, the Rupert Murdoch guy and uh, Terry Hatcher as like an old girlfriend who's now back in his life because she was dating the Rupert Murdoch. Then there's the world is not enough. That was with Denise Richards? Yeah. And then Die Another Day.
1: Oh, that's right. There were four. Uh Halle Berry, right?
0: Uh I think that was Halle Berry. And I think that was also the uh the invisible car <laughs> <laughs> and the Ice Hotel. Just try to say that without laughing. It's impossible. <laughs> But yeah, uh, but and, you know what? And it's funny. You want to talk about, you know, is Spectre a good title? Are these, you know, like those, those, those other titles are so empty. Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough, Die Another Day. They sound like Bond movies, but they sound like what they are, like Bond movies that are indistinguishable from one another.
1: Yeah, exactly, like, exactly. Like,
0: like Die Another Day, Tomorrow Never Dies. So if you told me that the plot of Die Another Day was Tomorrow Never Dies, I would say I would believe you. And if you told me the plot of... Tomorrow Never Dies was in fact the plot of Die Another Day, I Would Believe You.
1: Because the the title means nothing. It doesn't refer to anything that happens. And the
0: same thing with The World Is Not Enough. I don't know. Like If you told me The World Is Not Enough is the one with the Rupert Murdoch guy, I would say that makes sense because it's like he wanted to take over the world or something. I don't know. But it's not. Whereas if you told me that Dr. No was about a crazy German guy who wants to steal all the gold in (laughs) Fort Knox, I would be like, No! You know, or if you told me that uh, diamonds are forever, which a lot of people don't even like, you know, uh, diamonds are forever was about a guy, uh, uh, you know, who who uh, uh, had a had a crazy tank that looked like a Gila <laughs> monster on an island in Jamaica.
1: I would be like, no, that was Doctor No. At least like. Goldfinger, that that meant something to the plot, right? Diamonds are for That meant some Moonraker. That definitely meant something to the plot. Say what you will about Moonraker, right. that title meant something, right? But Tomorrow Never Dies, same
0: with tomorrow. Skyfall. Skyfall, you know, and it breaks a pattern where it's not named after like the bad guy or the MacGuffin, but it's about the character. You know, you'll you'll never like 30 40 years from now, we're not going to forget which one Skyfall was. Killer song, yeah. Quantum of Solace. Quantum of Solace fails that test. The song test? No, the title test and the t- oh. and and the song test.
1: It is and uh, you no you call, or did Quantum of Solace have the
0: Soundgarden song? Maybe it was a good song or was that the? It was uh, Chris Cornell, Chris
1: Cornell, but not not full on Soundgarden. I think.
0: Yeah, that wasn't bad. Yeah. I would say it passes the song
1: test. But Skyfall, uh, that that song like that still stands. For, yeah. like, you still hear that on the radio. Yeah. Still, hear like in the when you're out shopping or something, you'll hear that on the PA. Like, that's still a good song, yeah. Those are some bad, stuff. but anyway, Pierce Brosnan even admits it. he confuses them. And so, uh,
0: I would, t- I would hold hardly to recommend The World or no, what's the, the documentary?
1: Uh, Everything, Everything or, no. or Nothing, yeah, because that's that's where we learned what, what Eon Productions stood for yeah. the EON, Everything or Nothing, right? Which With, was a huge reveal to me,
0: yeah. Same here, I didn't know that. And it, because I, I just knew it always confused me that it didn't seem like it had any kind of reference to the initials of Cubby Broccoli or the the other guy who was his original co-producing partner. Uh, uh, Saltzman? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Harry Saltzman. Yeah, that's right. There's like a, a million people listening to this right now, like angry that, that they're not able to have their voices heard when they're when we're trying to struggle to remember these things <laughs> we need a live we need the live audience i'm sure people are yelling at their phones right now it's saltzman yeah. every saltzman um
0: all right one last thing before we wrap up keep this show short um <laughs> i do i want to talk to you about it i was uh you've got a new thing so you've got a new thing
1: uh that you've been doing for a
0: couple of weeks couple of months
1: better uh, the better
0: elevation podcast
1: you used to have a blog we well, to have a blog called better elevation yeah this is i guess it's I I went from it being a blog to it being this other thing. And my, my, does it coincide does it it coincide
0: with the end of Unprofessional? Uh it sort of, I guess
1: or just December, loosely. It, it yeah that's not like a direct I mean there's like a chronological I had this availability and I was thinking about what I could do creatively but there's no like this led to that kind of a causal relationship.
0: So now you're doing a show on YouTube. Do you consider yourself a YouTuber?
1: I guess. Uh, just today, I, I signed up for a Vimeo Pro account, mostly because they had this this deal, sort of a Black Friday deal, where if you bought, it's 200 bucks a year for a Vimeo Pro account. And the, their deal was if you buy the one-year membership, the Pro account, for $200, they would give you a $200 gift card to B&H, which is uh, like a photography electronics store here in New York. And I need to buy some more equipment. So this was like, well, I'm going to spend that money anyway. I may as well get a Vimeo account out of it. I'm, I'm rolling my eyes thinking about our sponsors this week. We don't really have anybody who sells gadgets, even
0: in the rotation of sponsors. But B&H I, is a fantastic uh, uh,
1: store. They have amazing prices, amazing amazing service. And this crazy, like, pneumatic tube system for sending the things down to... I, I don't even know how to explain it in, in the confines of a, a, a nice short podcast like this. Yeah, I've never been there in person, but I've heard that it's cool. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's like uh, when you were a kid, do you ever go to like, the, the drive-up teller at the bank and they have the pneumatic yeah. tubes? Yeah. I, when I was a kid, like, I was so fascinated. Like, the, my imagination went nuts. Like, there must have been a chocolate factory back there where Willy Wonka and the Oompa Loompas were sending money through tubes. And sometimes candy would come through when they noticed there's a kid in their car. Yeah. And uh, that, it, It's kind of like being in the chocolate factory watching the tubes go over your head. Man. That's what it's like being a and H man if you want like an obscure
0: lens for like a canon or Nikon or something like that, man, B and H has everything. Um but anyway, you're but you're doing you're doing a how many episodes are you up to now? Five, six? Uh six I think. And they're about four, five, six minutes long. And it's um so it's sort of the opposite of like this show, which is two hours of I don't wanna say rambling, I wanna I don't you know but it's the complaint about podcasts like the talk show that it's unstructured and, and goes on. It's five minutes of very tightly scripted and then edited uh, monologuing.
1: Yeah, and a, a couple weeks ago, I I did an episode about podcasting about what I thought the problem with podcasting is, and uh, it it it's almost so uncomfortable to say it here on this show because you know it's this show, but it it sort of seems like there's the talk show. And then there's a bunch of shows that kind of followed the template of the talk show. And even, even on things that I've done, I've tried to never do a podcast about like, you know, work stuff. I've never done a podcast about design. Like even unprofessional was very specifically not talking about work. No,
0: That was the whole premise of unprofessional was that it was, here's somebody whose work we admire in whatever field. And we are, our our ground
1: rules for the episode is that we are not going to talk about that work. Yeah, that's the one rule. We can talk about right. anything but work. And sometimes it would be crazy stuff like uh, talking to somebody about like, you know, elephant genitalia because that was just where the conversation wound up. Uh, with Molts, we had Molts on we went up talking about uh, what it would be like to eat people. And just you know, you never know where it's going the conversation's going to take you and that's kind of what it's like to be at a bar and talk to people. I'm surprised the elephant genitalia didn't come up with Molts. <laughs> Cuz frankly, whenever I see him, it's all he ever wants
0: to talk about. Uh, uh <laughs> it's like if Moltz is so intimately familiar with Elephant genetics, you know the old thing where there's like three blind Guys feeling an elephant and they all Say different things and one guy's like <laughs> You know, it's a tree trunk It's Moltz. if he was the blind guy, he would be right underneath the middle And he'd be like, it's an elephant and it's a man It's a male
1: <laughs> I know this elephant Right. <laughs> I'd recognize that Anywhere These grapefruit sizes <laughs> Well, they're probably bigger than grapefruit-sized, actually. I, I honestly have no idea. i a good I am so clearly not familiar with elephant genital. uh I think the, I think the topic was about how they they were or were not prehensile. Elephant penises? Mm.
0: No, not the penis. <laughs> why would they be? Pre- they're
1: huge, probably. But why would they be prehensile? I don't know. I well, it was because uh, like kangaroos. Kangaroos, right. they are prehensile. Oh, really? Anyway, we're, yeah, getting way off topic here. I did not but, know yeah. that. Yeah. And I only know this because I was at a zoo in Australia and there were some kangaroos going at it. That t- and, uh, yeah, it was like, it was like the, the, the male kangaroo on top of the female kangaroo. And it was like, it was kind of feeling around down there trying to find where to go. Huh. And it was a, it was a very, uh, illuminating and disturbing moment. That should be just as well that. known as the pouches thing. And the well, I don't think they like telling that to kids in school.
0: One time we had Amy's, uh, Amy has a much younger brother and he was still a kid. He's in college now, but he was, um, I don't know. He was only like 10 or 11. We took him to the Philadelphia Zoo and we were at the turtle exhibit. And these turtles, they have signs. I mean, these turtles are like some, like the male is like 85 years old. I mean, he's ancient. I mean, he's he's super old. And when you know it, the guy, the guy went right up behind the female and, (laughs) and and just went right at her. And I forget if it was the male or the female, or if it was, if it was impossible to tell because neither of their mouths were really moving. But one of them was really, really getting into it audibly. I mean it's broad daylight open and I would say 10 or 15 feet away from the railing and there's these big 3-4 foot grand turtles and they're just <laughs> screwing right there and open and all these kids, there's so many kids and all the kids are saying uh, uh, what are they doing? What is he hurting her? And, and I mean the question, kids are really like you know like something was clearly going on and it was noisy genuine concern right and for the most part those turtles don't even move and this the male this old male turtle was he was really going <laughs> and it was i it was one of the best it was like the reason zoos exist cuz it's like what do you watch do you watch the 85 year old turtle have at it or do you turn around and watch all the parents <laughs> try to decide <laughs> what do i do like some of the parents were clearly of the let's just pretend this is nothing, uh, you, know, let's just, you know, let's get real Catholic about this and just go into denial that this is going on. And other parents were more of the sort of liberal, open-minded, I don't want to act as though this is anything to be embarrassed about. I'm going, you know, how do I explain this to my kid in a sort of mature professional? And, and there's no way. You could, there's no possible <laughs> way that you could talk to, like, a 10-year-old kid in a serious way about turtles who are having having sex. It becomes a meta zoo where you're watching people watch animals. Right. That'd be a good bond movie title. Turtles having <laughs> sex. <laughs> I'd watch it. Um, no, but yet, yeah, but your pod, that's one of the things that it, it, I've had it in my notes for the next time you were on the show to talk about the podcast. You called it podcast intervention. Um,
1: yeah, it just seems like, uh, we've got a lot of really smart people and, uh, a lot of very talented people, but, we we've kind of fallen into and when I say we I I mean like you know the Apple tech community I mean not like the world at large or even the tech community at large but like in within our bubble it's like a lot of people kind of doing variations on the same theme and it's not that I think people shouldn't do podcasts in fact I I think people should do more podcasts I think everybody should have a podcast I think it's a great way to communicate ideas and broadcast them Uh, I just wish that we would maybe try some other stuff too and maybe try some variation in the way we approach podcasting
0: you're you know we work together you're not gonna you know it's you know we work together on this show you edit the show for those who don't know dave edits the show dave uh even handles the sponsorship sales now for this show the talk show i mean you're as close as there is to well you are you you should you should be you do enough work on this show that you should get a credit except we don't have credits if the show had any kind of visuals there would be an edited and some kind of maybe even produced by Dave Wiska's credit on the talk show, um, so it's no surprise that you're going to say good things about it. But when I saw that episode of of Better Elevation, I even though you, I, I don't even remember if you mentioned my show. I think you said good things about this show and ATP. Something about well, the fact that we, you know, that this show and ATP work because the authors have strong voices that we already knew, and now we get to hear them in another context. Something it's
1: it's it's the already new part. It's the... I, you would you would listen to the talk show not because you heard there's this thing called The Talk show and it's a great podcast. You're probably listening to the talk show because you read Daring Fireball.
0: Yeah, I don't who knows? i you know that's a good question. I just assume that for as popular as this show has gotten, I just assume that it's it's a subset of the people who read Daring Fireball. that there are very i maybe there are some though. I'd love to hear from you, but if there are people who don't like Daring Fireball but do like the show, but I, I do kind of feel like it's sort of like it's funny to t- start tying some of these strings together. But I think it's in the way that Fleming only works if you're already a Bond fan. Mm, that yeah, that yeah. the talk show only
1: works if you're already a daring fireball fan. Well, yeah, you you've referred to the talk show as the it's like the director's commentary track for right. daring fireball.
0: But what I saw your your better elevation it even though you were complimentary towards the show, I took it as you know. The, well, I took it as as motivation that why don't I up the game? I do feel like I'm incredibly lazy with the format of this show. That there's more
1: I could do. We could do anything, you know. But I think that's a a healthy response, and really like all I, I kind of pissed some people off, and some people thought that I was attacking one person or another. Um, I, I don't want to get into like the, all of that, but the when I when I mentioned on the in the video that we have multiple podcast networks that are run by a white dude who is on more than one of those shows. If not every show on that network, then almost every show on the network. And it's really easy to assume that I'm talking about any one of these people when really I'm the fact that there are more than one, there's more than one person that I could be talking about is kind of what I'm talking about. Right. It's
0: not like, it, it's not like it has anything particular to do with Leo Laporte or Dan Benjamin or, uh, even who, like Moises or somebody like that, you know. Yeah,
1: or or Mike Hurley or Renee Ritchie yeah. or But there, there's so many to choose from, and that's kind of what I'm talking about, where uh, we might have a hundred podcasts, but it seems like it's maybe the same twenty people doing all one hundred of them. Right. And and that again, that's not even necessarily a bad thing. Right. It's that the problem isn't and, with any one of those people or any one of those shows, it's that you right. can you can say that vague
0: phrase, you know, white dude, you know, from the tech world who's on a bunch of shows, and it can apply to so many of them.
1: Yeah, and any one of those shows, any one of those people, they're quality shows, quality people. Most of them are friends of mine, people that I would i would speak very highly of them and their shows and their approach to their work. Mike Riley, I talked to a lot even before. Like, I sent him the script for the show, and we talked a lot about, like, the state of podcasting and what, what could be done to push things forward, and he's got a lot of great ideas, and I, I really do think that he's uh, a voice for, for positive change there. But, uh, like, at, at a macro level, when you zoom out, you you start to see a lot of, like, it's like it's like the speaking of tying threads together it's like you zoom out in uh, attack of the clones and you see just a sea of blue and green lightsabers that wouldn't look great you start to see the problem with only two colors you have to add some more colors in there and i'm I'm worried that as our sphere of influence grows we're not really adding anything else to it like we're kind of working with those same ingredients yeah
0: and i worry that we and by we i really mean me since i have a popular show and i already have an audience that i'm not doing anywhere near enough to exercise any sort of muscles to play with the form it's you know hit record and we've got plenty of stuff to talk about and i think that it's you know and based on feedback from people and the fact that you know the the download numbers for this show are going up they're they're going up faster than traffic at daring fireball like a uh, daring fireball has sort of peaked Readership wise, at least in terms of things you can measure. But the show is gaining popularity. And I think it's because I've gotten so many interesting people on who have interesting things to say, but the form is incredibly lazy. It's get somebody interesting on the other end and hit record for two hours and then, you know, pass it over to Dave to get the levels fixed and the, <laughs> the mistakes cut out. Whereas we could do anything, you know, we could do something like cereal or whatever
1: yeah people were i kept seeing when that when that thing came out and there's been all this discussion now about podcasts over the last couple of weeks and i keep hearing the same phrase repeated which is uh uh, podcasts are, are are the new blogs which i disagree with because with a blog post presumably you would come up with an idea and you'd think through it and you would edit it and you would refine it and you'd go through a few drafts whereas on a podcast you you at least from what I, you know, on the landscape, it's more like sitting down and you hit record and having a conversation. So it's not that podcasts are the new blogs. It's more like podcasts are the new IM logs. Hmm. Like this is a, it's a conversation. There's nothing wrong with that. My, my only argument is I think we could also be doing other things to push it forward.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I like, for example, I, and I, and no, not that nobody has ever done it, but like for something like WWDC, you know, Instead of just doing one big show or like I've done the last couple of years, like the live show, which I could still do. But why not in the course of the week do, you know, a couple of 15 minute episodes just with, you know, new stuff. Like if I don't have time on day one to do a real episode of the show, why can't I have something that hits the feed and goes to podcast things
1: with just like a 10 minute overview? Yeah. And like like. Build build it around segments rather than conversation,
0: right? And it would be you know in loose terms because the analogy doesn't hold for long. But it would be like the way that on Daring Fireball, it's not just big long articles. It's in fact most of it is you know real short things, just links to other things. Why couldn't the feed for the talk show have a bunch of little things in it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, And and so it was. I don't know. Jason Snell was on Unprofessional months ago, and we had this like sort of meta discussion about podcasting and, and what it all means, and I was thinking about video and how you'll you'll have, you know, a, a decent podcast that that gets a, a fair bit of traffic. You'll get, you know, 10,000 people listening to an episode, but you put out a YouTube video and that could hit tens or hundreds of thousands of views. It could hit millions of views. There's people out there with, with YouTube channels that have uh, 20 to 30 million subscribers to say nothing of the views they get, just subscribers, people who who are actively subscribed to that channel. And it just seems like there's this huge audience for for this kind of content that uh, maybe we're we're just not we're not tapped into for whatever reason. And I started thinking about that, and I decided that whatever I do next, I wanna I wanna try something new. I wanna I wanna push a boundary that, that I don't feel like we've been pushing, and something that I I definitely feel I haven't pushed.
0: Yeah, and for sure, the way to do video, I think, is not the uh, let's just record a podcast, and we'll also let the camera on our computer stream us while we record a podcast.
1: You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, yeah. Howard Stern did that. His uh, e-show was just them filming while they were recording the the radio show. Yeah. And that
0: was a little bit higher production value. I'm, you know, um, like I'm thinking like, like, uh, and I know some people like it. Some people actually like it, but like the way that um, with Leo's shows, the guests are all, you know, there's also, you know, they're, they're recording audio, but they also have video. And some of the people are in the studio, and it works a little bit more because it looks a little bit more like a regular TV thing. But like like whenever I've been on, you know, uh, MacBreak Weekly or something like that, it's just a stupid view of me here in my home office, you know, (laughs) staring at the computer with headphones on. And to me, that's it's not really adding anything. To me, it's almost distracting. I feel like I I would never enjoy listening to it, watching a show like that. Like I don't want to see the guys record ATP. That would, I would gain nothing from that. Whereas I do think though, that in theory, there is something that like the ATP guys could do that would be video, but it's a different thing.
1: Right, right. And that's where I get excited about the idea of video as a medium. And it's so funny to talk about this as if it's like some new frontier that we've just discovered. Whereas uh, your son, who's 10, already knows everything about YouTube and that's just like the world he lives in. And like, you're not somebody until you have a YouTube channel.
0: Well, and it's funny cause it's something, you know, it gets to the, the weird notion that you have to have a name for a thing
1: or, or,
0: and that, that the name for a thing can affect the way people feel and see and approach it, you know, and that, uh, it was possible to do what is exactly known as blogging before the word blog or weblog or whatever you want to call it hit. But that it was only after we had a name for it that we all kind of agreed that you'd make posts and they would, you know, top down chronological order, um, it that it made the whole thing take off. And yeah, people were doing what we now call podcasts before the word podcasts existed. I mean, they were doing it before there was even an iPod, which is where the pod and podcasts come from. Um, you know, I remember the first show I ever did was Sean King's, um, your Mac life. And it was, it was after during fireball started. So it was like 2002. Um, but the tech, I mean, it was only 12 years ago, but the tech was so old that there was no like way to do it over the internet. I, I actually had to use like a telephone and call in and we
1: talked for like two hours. <laughs> I think we need, there needs to be a template for this kind of thing Yeah, in the, in the way that, um, link blogs sort of became a thing after kotkey and during fireball. Like we had a template we kind of knew how that worked and so it was like, oh well that that seems like a thing. I understand it i can I can do that not to the same level of quality, but I can make a thing to that pattern and it's it's not that there's anything wrong with following the pattern. it's that uh, after a while, if no new patterns start to emerge, then maybe we've got a problem hmm. yeah, I think part of it, you know if you want to have something
0: that what did you call for like a tumblr for podcasts more or less
1: yeah there's there's no like drop in easy system like it it seems like in the same way that anybody could sit down in front of Tumblr or Squarespace and and just make a website, there's no way to do that for podcasts. And it seems like there should be. It seems like there should be really great software for making podcasts because everybody who writes software has a podcast now. You'd think that this like it would just happen.
0: Yeah. I almost feel like the board podcast has become known as just two people or or, or a panel of people just turning on record and talking. And that the name, the word itself, has sort of limited the idea of what it what it can be. Whereas if we just called them shows, it would be a little bit more open ended and might be might entice people
1: more to do editing. And I think also the word podcast has this like vibe of nerdy tech thing. Maybe like, I don't it, know it, about it, that. I think it
0: definitely has a sort of amateur ring to it, just like blog Mm. did. And it will, will, and will continue to wear off as more and more podcasts get better production wise and more and more people with, you know, like NPR, uh, you know, like the, millions of people who listen to Serial, which is a podcast.
1: Yeah. But and it's a, it's a great example of what you could be doing with the medium. And what's funny to me is audio as a medium is older than movies. It's older than TV. Yeah. It, that, that, uh, that we're not looking at that as the template is, is interesting to me. Like, well, yeah. you get like uh incomparable, they're doing radio plays and that kind of thing. Um, you get uh, Mike I forget the name of the show. Uh, Mike Hurley and Casey List talking about, you know, real life stuff. Uh, these these are shows that are kind of if if the format isn't pushing a boundary, then at least the subject matter is. And that's like I I'd love to see more of that. But also I'd like to see people trying things that aren't just audio. Like there are other things we could be doing. And we have in the same way that we we it's it's so easy to sit down in front of a computer and put something on the internet that you typed out or that you recorded an audio it's it's in fact even easier as bad as uh, as as weird as it is that the tools don't exist to make podcasting easier it's even weirder that we're not doing more video when those tools do exist for video i feel like it's an editing problem too though
0: because i feel like the, that the tools to make these like we and they'll come eventually they'll probably come sooner rather than later but i feel like it's more than just about hitting record and then hitting stop and then somehow being able to quickly post what happened in between hitting record and stop.
1: Like, I'm not saying it's right. It's professional level, quality, anything, but uh, the tools for editing and posting video from your phone, way better than podcasting from your phone. Yeah, I think it's funny that we've got these super high-def cameras, and there's always this big push every year when the new iPhone comes out, we talk about the camera, but there's been no major advancements to the microphone technology. Hmm, that's a good point.
0: Right, like nobody would recommend, or nobody would recommend, uh, recording a podcast using the built-in mic on an iPhone. Whereas you could record pretty, you can record pretty damn good video with
1: the, yeah. the iPhone, but the, the audio notoriously is terrible. Yeah, I found you know I go and I spend all this this damn money on a, a Canon Five uh, D Mark Three, and I find that when uh, when I'm on vacation or if I'm traveling, I just shoot for my iPhone because those videos are stellar.
0: Yeah, especially with. Um, a little bit of post-processing to the video, you can really get pretty fairly, you know, again, the word professional is a little loaded and has other meanings, but pretty close to what, you know, what better, you you can get better than what used to be considered professional video pretty quickly.
1: Right. Yeah, definitely. And professionally loaded, but, okay, so the video I shoot on my phone, I probably wouldn't put into uh, the next James Bond movie, but it works great on my YouTube channel. Right. And the shots look fantastic. And I don't mean it looks great in an amateur, this is something I threw together in a weekend kind of way. I mean, it's like, you know, on that size screen and that size uh, and that kind of format with that kind of content, it works brilliantly. Yeah. This is high def video. There's definitely something intimate about video
0: too that is different. And I tell you, honestly, I, I sometimes have trouble watching your better elevation videos because I know you,
1: I do. <laughs> and it, into it, your
0: soul. I, it, yeah, I, it's in a way that I have a lot of trouble listening to my own voice and show. Like if it was up to, if it was up to me, I couldn't edit this show because I just can't bring myself to listen to it. I can listen to parts of it and you know, I've done it enough for enough years that it doesn't, it's not like an instant ick factor, but it's, it's really hard. And I remember seeing like on Letterman, like I think Johnny Depp is one of these actors who who professes that he never watches his own movies. Yeah. yeah, And I used to I used to think that was bullshit. I used to think, come on, you're just you're being falsely modest. But I actually think it's true now. I think depending on your mindset, you just can't bear to watch yourself. Yeah, you can't and- enjoy it. You can't see it the way other people do. Uh, and it's like I kind of get that feeling when I watch your Better Elevation videos because I know you. If I didn't know you, it wouldn't occur to me. You would just be this guy saying this interesting thing on a video. But because I know you, it's like, wait, that's Dave. And he's like looking at me because he's looking at the camera.
1: Uh, yeah, Guy mentioned something about being a little weirded out like I was I was staring him directly. Like I was making eye contact with him.
0: I But I think it's because I know you. Yeah, maybe I, I, I don't know, but like your most recent one, you did without you being on camera. It was entirely visuals, uh, or not. well,
1: everything's visual, but like a bunch. Right? Of yeah, like- it's it's like it's all sort of almost like like slideware. Yeah, and it was done in the style of, and I got to give credit to, it was done in the style of CGP Grey's videos. Yeah. And that, that as an influence is written all over it. If you've ever seen anything that CGP Gray's done, it's, it's pretty obviously in his style. And it was you know, partly an homage and it was partly me kind of playing around with it. And, and yeah. I had realized that I had started to get into, into habits with like the, the way I was handling jump cuts and the way I was doing anything on that show. Like I felt like, well, this is still really early, and the whole point is to be experimenting. So let's try something new. It may, maybe it's going to be terrible. Maybe it's going to be unwatchable. But I'm am st- just going to try something new, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, yeah, it that doesn't. was
0: your episode called How How to Make a Hit App. I found that one su- it, super easy to listen to or watch. You know, like it went down like butter. Whereas all the ones where you're on camera to me, not because they're you're bad or awkward or unprofessional, but it's because they're you. I know you. There's
1: something weird about that. Because I'm looking longingly into your eyes through your computer screen.
0: I don't know. It's the way, like, whenever you see somebody you know on a video, doesn't it have, like, a weird effect on you? You know, like, I've I, you know, I've seen Letterman thousands of times over the years. But, like, if somebody I knew was on Letterman, it's weird. Like, it's weird when I see
1: Clayton Morris on TV. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, I can see that. Well, maybe, like, now I'm just sort of thinking out loud, but those Johnny Ive videos that they they show whenever Apple releases a new product that same video where he's talking about the aluminium and how the thing is contoured and the whatever. Imagine the whole time he's talking, he's staring into the camera, right? (laughs) That would probably be a little off putting. So maybe there's, maybe there is an element to, there's an intimacy to eye contact that, that, uh, it's not necessarily good or bad, but th- there might be something to that.
0: Yeah, maybe there's some kind of psychology. But like, it's, you know, uh, the nightly news guys all look right at the camera. You know, the teleprompter is set up so that it looks like they're looking at the camera.
1: Yeah. And I think it's it's maybe a, 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 a instructional versus informative. I don't know. Maybe there's got to be. I'm sure somebody's done studies on this. Yeah. I maybe don't I know. look this stuff up. Figure out what the hell I'm doing. I don't know. John Stewart does the fir- whole first half of his show looking right at the camera.
0: Yeah, it's true. Could be about the distance from the camera too, like the length, the focal length of the lines. I don't know, but that's often in the weeds. Where should people go? Where so you're not married to YouTube in particular, though you might be switching to Vimeo. It's video. Well, not really.
1: not switching. I'm I'm just trying to like YouTube. I know is a thing, and for for searchability, YouTube is the second largest search engine, and that's that's a, a real thing. And I don't want to miss out on uh, the kids and their YouTube. But uh, I also know that some people just hate YouTube and they hate Google, and that's you know an, uh, at least an understandable position. And if that's the case, now I'm on Vimeo because I got that killer deal. Mm. Uh, so both. Like I'm just trying to I'm trying to make some stuff and see what works and uh, whatever it's, works. You great. know,
0: when it comes to words, it's like it's interesting to me. And it's like you said with the kids in their YouTube. Like I hear the word YouTuber, and to me, it sounds dismissive. Like I, I would be hesitant to say that you're a YouTuber now because I don't want to. I don't. I w- <laughs> I, it sounds to me like I'm insulting you. Like I'm calling like when people call uh, Deuce Heather Armstrong a mommy blogger. It's like, mm. she's not a mommy blogger. She's a writer. She's a See, really good one. But it's, you know, it, it, somehow everything new, I think, sounds novel and diminutive. Like, I'm sure the word, like, when they first started abbreviating television as TV, it it's, you know, in the 40s or 50s, it sounded like, dismissive it's just tv it's you know it's crap whereas well, for me grew up with that word right who was born in the era where tv is an it's just almost unimaginably dominant dominating cultural force it just is what it is you know they could have called it anything and it would just seem awesome because tv is awesome um you know i used to reject the word blog i, I really it just is not a good word to me I, used to, I stuck with calling them web blogs for as long as i could but now it's been long enough that it's You know, it it no longer feels like anything. And I feel like YouTuber is that way. And I've noticed with Jonas, like, you know, who watches obsessive amounts of YouTube. He watches far more YouTube than he watches commercial television. Um, And YouTuber is just, it has no plus or minus meaning at all. It just means somebody whose
1: shows you can watch on YouTube. You know, that's it. There's this really cool democratization of content effect where this is sort of like this was our dream, right? The the internet's dream was that anybody could make stuff and just put it out there. Right. I'm I'm playing music with some friends now and we're talking about like, well, in the 90s if you wanted to, you know, make a video that would be seen by anybody, if you wanted to make a record, you had to have a record deal and you had to have all this money and it cost a fortune. Now, like we could we could record a song and make the video for it and have like the song on iTunes and the video on YouTube by the end of the day. Well, the big thing I remember from the 90s was Pressing your own
0: CDs and being, you know, giving them out at, you know, if you're a big, good enough to even be booked at a venue, then you could give them out or sell them at the venue. Or right. if you were still below that, you, you know, like on college campuses and stuff, you'd, you know, set up shop somewhere and just hand them out to people.
1: Yeah. Now we, we live in this, this time where you can just make stuff and put it on the internet and it's there for anybody. And that's really cool. And it seems like the people, the, like the most creative and the most talented and the people with the, the access to the best. Equipment and technology should maybe be the ones making the best content, but uh, it doesn't necessarily seem to always be that way. Yeah.
0: And the last thing that really hit me about that and ties into your your, uh, podcasting episode, the podcast intervention episode, is it ties into the – at first, if you're older and you're used to what comes, the new stuff seems amateur you know like whether it's blogging for writing or youtube videos five minute youtube videos for video and it, it just seems like well this is the lesser this is the the self you know what do they call it when you publish your own novel uh self-published, self-published. novel um uh this is where the people who can't make it in the real world go and you know pretend like they're doing it and then y- you open your mind and realize that you know the good stuff could be coming from anywhere. And you realize that the new format is the one that has the most freedom where you don't have to do it in 30 minute increments because you're based on this TV model where everything has to be 30, 60, 90 minutes long to fit in a schedule. And you can do something like, say I have a six minute essay on uh, making hit apps and it can be exactly six minutes long. It's which is exactly what I feel like if there's anything I've done you know, successfully with form with daring fireball, it's it's right in a form where if I need if I need a thousand words, I can use a thousand words. If I need three thousand words, I can use three thousand words. And if I can make my point with three words, I use three words. And right. you could never do that in the print world. You couldn't have a you know Paul Krugman's column in the New York Times can't be seven words long. It has to you know has to be seven hundred fifty words or three hundred fifty or seven fifty. I think is what they have.
1: Yeah, and I look at at. It- your stuff and and Marco's stuff and Jason Snell's stuff. And it seems, especially the three of you in particular, it strikes me that you guys have these voices that people listen to and you've got these shows, like literally voices that people listen to. And and like, there's an authority and and a legitimacy to that. And it would be cool to see that kind of weight put behind. Yeah. With podcasts and videos. Yeah. And so I, I think maybe the, the, even the word intervention and like maybe it came off a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Like I was condemning something than I meant for it to, but like my, my whole point, my, the whole spirit of, of all of this is like, I just want to try new stuff and I want other people to try new stuff. Cause I think that uh, there's just a lot of really smart, really talented people with a lot of pretty advanced technology in their pockets.
0: All right. Where's the best place then? Where's the, the one place people can go if they want to see a couple episodes of better elevation.
1: Uh, YouTube.com slash better elevation or Vimeo.com slash better elevation or Or just Google for better elevation. (laughs) Yeah, I think that I think that works.
0: Elephant genitalia turtles screwing slash better elevation slash better elevation. (laughs) So, uh, hey, let's talk about computers.